welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 67. Harry airs, Barry airs, and Mommy cares. I'm Scad, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Toodaloo! Thank you guys for joining us again for this episode. We are going to be continuing our reread of A Song of Ice and Fire, specifically A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. We're reading those two books together in a tandem reread that we call Feast Dance. Uh, the chapters that we are going to read today follow the chronological order that we're reading the two books in. You can find that reading order at feastwithdragons.com or on our website, davosfingers.com. Just to give credit where credit's due, that reading order was developed by Game of Owns, a fellow A Song of Ice and Fire podcast. In this specific episode, we will be discussing, are you ready? Because you got to go read them if you haven't yet. We are going to be discussing... Elaine 2 in A Feast for Crows. Then we're going to jump over to Tyrion 9 and Dance with Dragons. Then back to Feast for Cersei 9. Then back over to Dance for The Turncloak. And then we're going to finish it off with The King's Prize, also in Dance with Dragons. So, you ready? Okay, back to you, Scad, for announcements. <laughs> you said they have to read them, but I saw the, the Twitter conversation with somebody that said, Ah! I'm too lazy to read them. I'll let you do it for me. <laughs> this is funny. We are happy to do that as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So just a couple of, a few, a few announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, a week this week for Star Wars, which, you know, Matt Indeed. and I are big Star Wars guys, had a few things. Uh, at the Super Bowl, they let out a little, short little squeak of a trailer for Han Solo, the Han Solo film, Solo. And then a longer length trailer uh, the following day on Monday, uh, which, I don't know, uh, Matt, reaction to Solo? It looks great. Uh, I, I unfortunately don't get as excited anymore, and I think it's just because it's not a new and, uh, like, thing every, you know, every three years or whatever. It's every year I expect the Star Wars film now, so I guess I don't get quite as excited. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, or every six months at this point. Yeah, Jedi came out in December, and we're getting this one in May? End of May, yeah, May 25th or so. Jeez. Yeah. That being said, the film looks great. I have no qualms or issues with it. They had some very cool Millennium Falcon moments. I loved the part where the TIE Fighter's flying next to the Falcon. You remember that part? And I do. Han Solo like, bumps the TIE Fighter and hits it into the wall. That was freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, he uses yeah. the Millennium Falcon like a Robot Wars uh, robot and bashes <laughs> it into like a cave wall or something. Yeah, that's freaking cool. It was. What, it was. What are your thoughts? I know you uh, really like the actor who plays Han. Well, I do. I, I mean, I've only seen him in one role, um, but I liked him in that role. I thought he had some. Uh, I had thought he had some innate charm, um, and so I was kind of looking forward to this and. You know, it's just a trailer. I don't want to. I don't want to read too much into it. But the Last Jedi has me spooked, uh, and so <laughs> I I am reading too much into it. And you know, Harrison Ford. Just, and I know, I, I I know we're not replacing Harrison Ford. We can't. Nobody could. We shouldn't try. And you know, maybe maybe that informs a little bit on what I'm about to say. Harrison Ford had this had this easy kind of nonchalant coolness to him. Mm -hmm. 
And it actually, I don't, I don't think I even realized it until I saw someone else playing the role in that trailer. The way he delivered his lines, it was almost like every single one had this falling off in the tone that just made everything feel like it was going to be all right. Yeah, kind of a drawl. Yeah, and it exuded confidence and calm and composure in a way. Mm-hmm. Even when he was flustered, it seems like his lines did that. And ah, uh, this he feels this guy feels uptight. I don't. Well, uh, remember that this takes place before Han had I gone know. through a lot, and so know. you know maybe know. that easy confidence was earned with time. Right. And so exactly, exactly. And so I don't want to read too much into it, although my, you know, my, I'm already, my pulse is racing. You're Scott Thompson. Uh, you're going to read. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to read. Yeah. I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm an emotional wreck. And, uh, <laughs> you're not an emotional wreck, but you are thorough <laughs> and very well, thoughtful, and so, but you're right. And so if, if they, if that's the journey they take him on, maybe I'll be convinced. And so I'm going to try to go into it as much as I can with an open mind and, and hope that I love it. All I can say is I will echo a tweet that I saw that said, Mm. if Donald Glover can deliver this line like Billy D did, and how you doing, Chewbacca? (laughs) Then he will have won in my book. So Yeah. The amount of love for Donald Glover's Lando is off the charts (laughs) when we haven't seen anything. He didn't say anything, did he? I think he just kind of stood there. Yeah, um, everybody's like, "Oh, he's amazing!" They should have made a Lando movie instead. It's like, what are you talking? He did nothing. I wonder. And I love and, Donald Glover, and this is total just conspiracy theory. If uh, they are um, using this as kind of a litmus test to see what the crowd response is to Lando, to perhaps bring Billy D back for Episode Nine. I, yeah, I would love to see him back. I'd love to see him back too, but I mean that that's written, isn't it? Isn't nine like written? You know, I think you're right because they at least a high level outline because they said they had to revisit what had been written when Carrie passed. So, right. Yeah. Right. But uh, you know, they can always look. They can shoehorn things in. It's been done before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on so, that negative anyway. note, why don't you move on to the next big Star Wars announcement? Let's move on to the next negative <laughs> note. Uh, yeah, uh, Weiss and Benioff, uh, that many people that listen to this cast will know from Game of Thrones, have been given a trilogy, a Star Wars trilogy, to run after Game of Thrones ends. And if the solo trailer didn't have an X-Acto knife squarely placed on my wrists... Uh, this news put it there. How did you do? <laughs> listen. <laughs> oh, I'm listening. <laughs> I, I think I said this in a tweet to somebody. I don't approach these two with the same amount of vitriol that some Game of Thrones fans do. I'm not saying that's you. Uh, but there are people that just hate these two. Um, do I think they could do a decent job writing a story? Yeah. Uh, what What's bothering me is Ryan Johnson has a trilogy too, right? Yeah. So we've got six more Star Wars movies at least. 
and plus I, these other spin-offs, yeah, these one-offs if they're any other them. one-offs that they choose to do, which I'm sure as long as they keep money, they'll keep making them. And it's exactly what I was worried about: is the oversaturation of Star Wars gonna gonna lessen the magic? Do you know what I mean? I know, I know what you mean, and and I think you and I talked about this shortly after. I mean, when Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm, I th- I think we had maybe barely started this podcast. I mean, it, it was a while ago, but but you and I talked about it uh, uh-huh. right when that happened, and we talked about like oversaturation risk, and you know what is the mouse going to do to this, and toys in every store, and you know yeah, sure enough, you know there's Star Wars makeup and Star there's Star Wars everything, right? So. You know, we've seen it happen. It's it's not like uh, you know these three getting a, a trilogy has magically moved it in that direction, but it's more evidence. It's just more, yeah. And and here's here's what I'll say about that. It's not like it's not like Disney didn't do this with Marvel. Mm-hmm. They've saturated Marvel like crazy, and we get a movie coming a out large... like every other month. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's at least two a year, and uh-huh. sometimes more, and. And they've done, by and large, a pretty great job with it. You know, they've got a, had a few misses in my estimation, but by and large, they've done a great job. And so... You're right. Oversaturation in and of itself isn't terrible, but you've got to get the right people to do it, and you've got to tell good stories. And, and here's what I'll say about that. Marvel is... They've got decades of content to draw from. And they certainly aren't doing direct copies of any of that content, but they've got it there to draw from. And D and D, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Based on what we've seen with Game of Thrones, and admittedly, I dropped that early. See, yeah, I mean, it's most, it's pretty much all we got to see. I pulled up their wiki pages just to like look at their careers, and guys, it's pretty light to be honest. Outside right. of the Game of Thrones success, it's pretty light, and you know. I've said this before, and I don't want to harp on it, but the writer of Troy, uh, you know, is going to be entrusted with with Star Wars, and we've seen what they can do when they diverge from the content that's out there. And some people love the show, and so I don't I don't want to like, it's not an awful show, right? But I don't I think it was better when they were using George's content, and what they're going to be doing here is writing their own, and so yeah, I'm worried about it. And Star Wars is something I want to protect, and I know yeah. I can't. But, it's just yeah, what it is. We're me. we're very protective of it, and you know, even the idea of, I mean, to this point, Rogue One is the darkest, grittiest Star Wars I think we've had, mm-hmm. and uh, and even then, it's it it's not that bad. Uh, and people are talking about, you know, is this new Star Wars going to be rated yeah. R Star Wars, right? Um, from Dave and Dan, and that's kind of weird to me to wrap my head around. I'm not completely opposed to the idea, but it's kind of weird to think about. Yeah, so it's just, it would be certainly interesting different. if they went for like a more adult bent for this trilogy, right? Sure. And less family right. oriented. It would be an interesting, an interesting uh, path to take. Uh, but I, before we finish up this, and I, I do want to want to because it's been a long discussion now. But before we finish it up, uh, Beefish had a hilarious set of tweets where he was pretending to be, he was playing out phone conversations between oh, Dave and Dan and yeah. actors from the Game of Thrones series. I only like saw the were... Stannis one. Oh man, there were a few he did a few of them. Okay. They're pretty hilarious. Try to go find them if if you can. Uh pretty funny. There you yeah. go. Because All right, you moving get on. Our, you get your uh episodely plug that we give you every time. 
Yeah, right. And I think I got more on him later, so we'll oh, see. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Moving on. Go ahead. Uh, you know, Scad put this in in the in the program for tonight, and God bless him for doing it. Uh, I had Dave Matthews Band fans around the world got shocking news. Um, gosh, it must have been last Saturday, no Friday, Friday. night. Yeah, uh, that Boyd Tinsley, the infamous big old dreadlocked violinist who's been with the Dave Matthews Band from the beginning, uh, tweeted out Friday night, the night before a concert, that uh, he was leaving the band. He made it sound like it could be. Um, temporary. He said in the tweet that he's leaving the band for now, uh, but we'll see. He said that there are issues related to his health and that he wanted to spend more time with his family, both of which I understand, um, but still, it's a bit of a blow. Um, he's had, it's been rumored that he had has some carpal tunnel issues. Uh, mm. There was a couple concerts on their last tour, so they took 2017 off, but in 2016, they had, uh, and p- maybe part of the reason they took it off was because of him, but he, there was a couple instances where he's just sawing away on his violin on stage, and then the bow would just fall out of his hand. He'd just drop the violin bow. Oh, wow. And there's one time where Dave Matthews was playing right next to him, and Dave like reached down and picked it up and handed it to him, all concerned, kind of. Uh, there were other instances during that tour where he would just take whole songs off, and he'd kind of stand in the shadows of the stage and not even play. So, you know, health comes first, and uh, they've been touring. 2017 was the first year since they started in 1993 that they hadn't taken a summer off. And they'd play, you know, 100 shows a year. So, And he's, he's in his 50s, right? Yeah, they're all getting old. There's a couple of the members of the band that are now in their 60s. Yeah. And I think Boyd is late 50s, like 57 or something. So it's right. getting to that point. Yeah, uh, right. He'll be missed, man. I I met him uh 2015 and what just an absolute sweetheart. Just a wonderful guy. It's hard to be mad or anything after you met such a wonderful kind spirit who made time for every band, every fan that wanted to meet him after this concert and uh he was just wonderful. He gave he gave these did I ever tell you about the uncomfortable Boyd hug? Uh, no. Maybe. <laughs> so every single person that met him after this concert, what he did at, during this one tour, I think it was 2015, is he would tweet out a location to every every night when they play in a new city. He would tweet out a location. Sometimes it was like a club or sometimes it was just a parking lot of a store or something. And then after the show, he would have his... Um, his uh, tour bus. Each member of the band has their own tour bus in DMB. And he would drive that out. He would get it driven out to this location and fans who saw whatever he tweeted could meet him there. And he would spend however long he wanted to meeting with fans there. And so we were a part of that when they played in Salt Lake City last. And he was giving everybody these hugs. And how long is an average, what, what would you say, is an average hug time for someone that maybe you really love and haven't seen in a while. Like an honest hug time in seconds. For someone you love and haven't seen some for a while that you know? Yes. Let's say someone that you know. Like if you haven't average. seen your mom for a couple years and you see her 
and oh, I mean, you embrace what what is the hug time for that well look there's no limit on mom time hugs mom that's hugs true can last forever but a, you know a good friend that you haven't seen in years five seconds is not too long right that's what i was thinking three to five seconds realistically yeah i kid you not that man hugged me and he hugged everyone else for at least 60 seconds per person no i kid you not i am being absolutely 100 percent serious he just like he just wrap you up and he just hold you and i was like oh this is awesome i'm hugging boy tinsley and after like 10 minutes or 10 seconds it's like okay this is getting weird and you'd like i mean try to, you'd like naturally try to pull away like okay the hug is done and he wasn't letting go he would squeeze you tighter and he just He's just like got his his face buried into my shoulder, and his dreadlocks are all up all over my face, and like it was weird for a few seconds, and then for like for seconds like fifteen through thirty five, it's really weird, and then for thirty five to sixty, you just kind of like feel the love, man. <laughs> you just melt wow. into him, but it it was weird, dude, at first and. And I was just, at fi- and, I mean, at 15 seconds, you got to start thinking like, is this a wrestling move? <laughs> right. Are we going to like go down in some sort of hold or, but, yeah. but, uh, yeah. And he'd just go, what's your, as he's hugging me, I love you, man. What's your name, man? Matt, Matt, I love you. I'm so glad you came to my show tonight. <laughs> I'm so glad you were here. And he oh, seemed, I not heard this story. <laughs> and he seemed completely 100% sincere. And, and I just was like, that was so amazing tonight. And I just like broke down and acted like an idiot. Like they played my favorite song, number 41. It was the first time I'd heard it live after seven or eight Dave Matthews band shows. And I was like, you played 41 tonight. And it, it was everything to me. And I started crying. And he's like, that's so awesome, man. I'm so glad we could do that for you, man. I just love you. And I love you so much, Matt. I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad I got to meet you. <laughs> wow. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, it was it was something else. But anyways, that's Boyd. Wow. So indeed. Hopefully, uh, no no announcement on if they're going to replace him. Um, they have to. You think, right? So they I play, mean, They they played the Super Bowl pre-show or whatever the night before the Super yeah. Bowl. So, and they played without him, and uh, it was kind of weird. It. They tried to replace yeah. his solos with guitar solos and stuff, and it sounded off. But, uh, you know, there's good violinists out there that I'm sure could step in and, uh, if not fulfill his presence that he was on stage, at least fill his, you know, technical playing ability. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for uh... allowing me that moment to <laughs> no. gush about Dave Matthews Band. Thanks for sharing it. that story. It's awesome. Uh, last announcement and then we'll get to the podcast Uh, this one is related at least to A Song of Ice and Fire yes it is Ice and and Fire Con is coming up uh, end of April April 28th I believe it is Um, I think you can still get tickets we've got a a code fingers if you if you get tickets you can get five bucks off Uh, I'll be there fingers fingers plural yep because there are two of us uh, and I'll be there and, uh, love to meet anybody that, oh, I'll love to meet lots of people, but, uh, if you listen to the cast for sure and you're there, come introduce yourself and we can chat for sure and hang out and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, come to Ice and Fire Con. It is 
they are the most accepting group of people I've ever been around. I mean, I went in, I knew hardly anybody, and I went in and just felt felt embraced and um, you know. So check it out if you have any sort of qualms about it. It's a great group of people, and it's pretty much a no judgment zone. You can be who you are, and it's pretty great. So give it a thought if you wanna wanna go have some fun with some more Song of Ice and Fire nerds. Yeah, I think the people are definitely what makes Ice and Fire Con. Ice and Fire Con, from what I've heard. So, yeah. And if you guys do go, um, the first thing you do when you see Scad is just tickle him right on the collarbone. He really likes that. I mean, don't, because I, like, I throw elbows. (laughs) Like, not intentionally. You will get just. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's move on. All right. So, as you all probably know, we are a spoiler free podcast. We only talk up to the point that we're reading in the books. So, uh, stay tuned after the regular portion of the podcast, though, as we do do a special segment called Davos After Dark, which we will warn you about. We won't just jump into it and start revealing spoilers right and left. Um, and during that segment, we'll talk about theories. We'll talk about whatever we want. So make sure to hang in there for that if you are so inclined. Right, right. And uh, lastly, if you want to contact us, suggest topics for us to discuss, have questions, that kind of thing, or just reach out and tell us good job or something, uh, you can find us at DavosFingers.com. You can email us at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at DavosFingers, or uh, you can find us on Facebook as well or you can uh look out for us on our at our patreon program at patreon.com forward slash davos fingers yes indeed. And i think that is it for the announcements Whew. you ready to dive right in matt yes let's do this all right the first chapter is elaine and here we go don't know when a prince will come but surely he's a gonna come for santa stark Gabby looking like a toy, and her daddy killed a wolf. His Sansa Stark. It is Escape from Frigid Death Day at the Eyrie, and Elaine has the unenviable task of calming Sweet Robin down, getting him dressed, and convincing him that they really must needs depart today. If they don't, well, um, freezing is an option. Six pages, six pages of sweet talk. Promising baths and food and stories and relenting to a kiss, and little Robert Aaron is up and at him, ready to bathe and face the old world. Now the journey is terrifying. Uh, I'm doing a disservice to Robert on this point because I would be scared too. And if you want those reasons, just keep listening. We'll go through that a little bit. Uh, in prepping for the journey, Maester Coleman asks Elaine if Robert was shaking or bleeding from his nose, and recommends knocking Robert out with milk with a poppy for his descent. You see, he and Sansa are both very worried that Robert might have a fit on the way down and James Brown himself right off the mountain. Sansa recommends a cup of sweet milk, but the maester balks. It is too soon. He's had too much, and too frequently. But finally he relents. One now, and one to keep him calm at the feast to come, but no more for a while. Weird. Apparently this stuff is dangerous? Question mark? Anyway, as she preps for for departure, Sansa ponders much. Her own disguise and safety as Elaine, the girl Maya Stone that's going to help them down the mountain, uh, and if she might fancy Lothor Brune, one of Peter's household knights. Peter's progress in befriending the Lord's declarant, and Miranda Royce, the daughter of Nestor Royce and keeper of the Gates of the Moon, and what she might be like, because she apparently is coming up to greet them. But finally it's time to make the descent. I'll spare the lot of details save this. 
Each of the three journeys is harrowing in its own way. One is a bucket with no control. You're just standing in a bucket with can't see anything. Scary. There's a ledge where you must dismount and lead your mule across. It's only like a yard apart or a yard across. And there's a section in the dark with loose stones everywhere when one must just trust the mules to do their jobs and hope for the best. Anyway, Sansa meets Rand on the mountain. She's a soft, fleshy, buxom girl that runs her father's house and is gossipy and forward and just delicious in every way. She learns from Miranda all of the following little tidbits of gossip. That Peter has befriended three of the six lords declarant. Dragonstone and Storm's End still hold for Stannis in the war. There is a new High Septon. And oh, oh, by the way, the Night's Watch has a new boy commander, the son of Eddard Stark. Harry the Heir won a tournament and was knighted for it. And that she, Miranda, killed her own husband with her sexual vitality. That Sansa's own breasts are bastard breasts and inferior to Miranda's own breasts. And that Maya is in love with Michael Redford. That Randa can talk. And Sansa finds it endearing. As they finish their journey, they are rewarded with a beautiful, peaceful last stretch. As the snow falls and the way is much easier. Some fall asleep in the saddle, such as the serenity of the end of the ride. When they arrive, Elaine is informed that Peter is back early and wishes to see her. Peter is discussing matters with three hedge knights, whom he has brought into his service. But mostly, she is there because Peter wants to share this news. He has made a marriage contract for Elaine and Harry the heir. Sansa is still at a loss as to what he is heir to. Lady Wainwood has sons of her own and a big family. Peter explains with his Ancestry.com app that Harry is the heir to the Vale should the sickly Robert die. And he shall die. And at the wedding, they will unmask Elaine as Sansa, and all the Vale will flock to her cause to bring the North and Winterfell back to her. Wow. What a great gift. I just got her some salt and pepper shakers. Matt, what do you get her? Wine tumblers. <laughs> Wine tumblers. Lovely. Yep. Mm-hmm. She'll love them. Yeah. So that's the end of the chapter. Uh, all in all, kind of a, a, a fun look uh, at getting down the mountain. Uh, at times, perhaps a little bit of a tedious chapter. But, you know, the little gossipy bits uh, kind of fill in the story and, and make it entertaining. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, it's the kind of chapter that when I was first reading A Feast for Crows, I was snoozing through and was like, yeah. where's Jon Snow? Where's so, yeah. you know? Um, so they get down the mountain, big deal. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you yeah. for explaining all of that. Uh, but on subsequent reads, that's the stuff that's just filled with delicious world-building bits and character-building bits as well. So I really enjoyed it. I did notice how long it was, uh, definitely. I was like, oh my gosh, this thing's still going? But uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was certainly certainly long. It took uh, every ounce of strength to assign that chapter to myself uh, in, this, <laughs> uh, in this episode. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I did. I, enjoyed, I, I ended up enjoying doing it quite a bit. And uh, mm-hmm. the summary was fun to write. And um, anyway, uh, I want to start with Randa. Cause She's great. She, because she makes me feel kind of funny. Uh, like when you used to climb the rope in gym class? That's exactly what I was going for, Garth. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's the attitude that does it for me with her. Mm. She's just so forward and open and just, like, playful. I love it. Yeah. The opposite of, of everything Sansa has to deal with, with being so careful. And yes. always have to watch every word that she says. 
And yes. so it's almost therapeutic in a way for her to be able to just kind of let her hair down, but she's still got to be awfully careful because if she does let one thing slip to Randa, you know, she's done. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you do get this, you know, Peter's a very good judge of people's qualities, I think. And he's warned Sansa, I skipped this in the chapter, but he's warned Sansa about Miranda, that she seems, you know, carefree and, you know, a silly little girl sometimes, but she's she's much more clever than she lets on. And this whole thing might be, you know, a bit of an act to try to get some information from Sansa. To get so some information, sure. She does, Sansa still does need to be careful, but you can see from Sansa she's, she's letting her guard down a bit. She loves her. Mm-hmm. She loves her. Yep. As do I. Yeah, she's uh, she's a she's another Davin Lannister in the book. Someone you just love to just hang out with. So. Oh, don't do that to poor Miranda. She's better than Davin. Uh, okay, okay, maybe I have a crush. All right, let's let's move on. Yeah. So, uh, oh, where should we go next? Uh, kind of a, I don't know. Every time I read about this journey up or down. I really, I really feel like, let's back up. The Vale is, like, criminally underused as, like, a location in this series. Uh And I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that George has made a mistake or whatever. I just, it's such a, to me at least, such an intriguing location. And it feels, it feels like we could do so much more with it. I mean, I would love to read a scene about a siege of, of the Eyrie. You know, 30 people defending the castle, right, on the way up. Just throwing rocks or air, you know, whatever. Knocking people off the mountain as they try to come up. And, you know, fleeing at the last moment up to the next level. Kind of like the rebels in in Rogue One, right? Fleeing from Vader and, you know, just escaping to the next level and then fighting some Mm -hmm. more. Uh, You know, taking down, like, I don't know, thousands of men maybe with with their stronghold. I'd just love to, like, read that or see it, you know? Yeah, it's it's this untouched area, virtually, of A Song of Ice and Fire that we really know nothing about beyond the Eyrie itself. Um, we don't know anything else, really, about the Vale and its geography. Yeah. There's, you know, little bits and pieces here and there. But it does seem like this untouched, freshly fallen snow in the A Song of Ice and Fire world that you just want to go trek around in. Um, that, that that type of battle scene would be cool. Uh the only way to take the Eerie is by starving them out, right? That's. I yeah. don't see how anyone could could take it with what they've described. Yeah, feels that way. Which is just what the plan was, wasn't it? Uh, there's a passage where Bronn said he'd sure like to try. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Actually, actually, doesn't Tyrion say that? That he has the plan for taking taking the Eerie. Yeah, and and Bronn's like, I'm in, I'm down. So. Oh, he'd like to try. Yeah. yeah. If anyone could uh, do it. If anyone could do it. If anyone could do it, it's Braun, the cat-like Braun. You got it, buddy. It's also a, a missed opportunity, perhaps, from George to have somebody die on this trip. Seems yeah. like it really would have driven the point home about how dangerous this was if somebody did fall off the mountain. For how safe it is, or for how dangerous it is, the the mortality rate seems fairly low. No. Yeah, yeah. How many days since an accident does Maya Stone have like a chalkboard <laughs> in one of the way castles? She totally should. She totally should. <laughs> Three hundred days since someone last fell to their death. 
from the mountain. But... Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Robert. Uh, poor, poor deer. Yeah, we've talked about him a little bit before. God, he's hard to like. <laughs> Isn't he? I mean, oh, you pity him, right? You pity yeah. him, but... What else can you do? <laughs> I don't know. Every time he says impregnable, I imagine uh, I imagine that guy in J- the, one of the James Bond movies that's a invincible. <laughs> I don't know what that one. What, oh, really? What James I'll Bond that's in? Clip. But uh, I don't know. Some ah. Russian hacker coder guy or something. Right. Anyway, uh, I, he's just he's just. Uh, insufferable i i don't i just like where did sansa get this patience like you see her dealing with Arya in the early books mm-hmm. and like she would never like put up with this kind of behavior before and she's just so patient with him and i guess, i mean i guess that in and of itself is just a measure of how much she's grown in these books absolutely that's a note that i that i wrote down that sansa's way of playing the game is starting to develop and the way that she does it is principally through patience. And probably yeah. some of that's been learned, you know, from Littlefinger. He's, of course, very patient. Um, but she's very gentle in the way that she plays. And she's getting better at it. It seems every chapter we've gotten in A Feast for Crows, we start to see a little bit more of how she plays. And that's through patience. It's through um, persuasion, gentle persuasion, and playing the part you know it's almost like the way she treats little robert is a i don't know if this is the perfect way to say it but it's almost kind of a microcosm of her becoming more and more like littlefinger does that make sense how she's just able to know what he wants give him give little robert enough of what he wants to get him to do what she wants right and it's uh it's kind of cool to see how it slowly develops indeed Indeed, and 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 also interesting to see. You know, they they've painted that here in this chapter, like how how she's developed, and then you get at the end of the chapter this kind of well. For a long time, we've wondered like, what like what's the end game for Sansa? Sure, like she's just gonna be a bastard her whole life and pretend to not be who she is, and she can't ever come out of hiding and all these things. And at the end of the chapter, you get, here's your plan. This is this is the destiny I've carved out for you. This is what you're going to do. And it's not a bad destiny. No, fucking great. That's awesome. <laughs> she will and... be revealed to be Sansa Stark again. She won't have to play this game forever. Yep. Uh, which has got to be stressful. Um, she's be. She's getting pretty good at it. It's interesting to compare how Sansa is able to slip into this role of Elaine, you know, with Theon and Jane, who we're going to visit in this next chapter, who both still have trouble playing the parts that they have been expected to play. Uh, well, and yeah, obviously, Theon. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, obviously they're under a, some different circumstances that are fairly severe and such. Um, yeah. But she's, it's interesting to just contrast how effortlessly Sansa has been able to, to step into this role. Yeah, Theon hasn't been able to pretend to be this other person. He's had to bury who he was. Mm-hmm. Sansa, you get these little these little moments 
where she's always weighing her personal wants as Sansa with Elaine's responsibilities and, oh, well, I want that, but I can't do it, right? But she's got this sense of herself still. Uh, Theon, his conscious, consciousness is always burying that. Bury sure. Theon, right? Push and we've, we've actually, it's one of the points we'll get to when we have that chapter later this episode, is that he's starting, he's, he's kind of slowly coming out of that. And, mm-hmm. and what an interesting journey that is. But he's, you know, before that, he hasn't been able to keep them both alive. He had to shut one down. And I think Jane is in the process of learning to shut that down as well. Yeah. Handle it in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely, Sansa's definitely gone full Daniel Day-Lewis into this part. It's kind of fun. DDL. <laughs> so, uh, what about Peter? So, uh, it all seems very nice for Sansa. Mm-hmm. Why I think you're getting you to the it? yeah. I think you're getting <laughs> to the question I have is what does Peter get out of this? Yeah. Is he okay yeah. just sitting back and letting Sansa, you know, reap the riches where he and he manages? He still kind of manages things behind the scenes. I have trouble believing that everything Peter has so patiently done over years and years and years is leading up to him just still kind of being a puppet ruler from the background. I don't know. It seems like in the end he wants to place himself somewhere visible. It's hard to say. He has he has an interesting line in there about Cersei uh, running the kingdom into the ground and saying, yes. I thought I'd have five years to plant some seeds uh-huh. right? Um, to let some things grow and develop. And, and then he says, but it's a good thing I thrive on chaos. It, it's, all, it's, it's the kind of line... That makes you think, like, he's just trying to get away with whatever he can get away with. Not that it's not <laughs> planned, but just like, good thing I thrive on chaos, we'll see what happens. Mix Wait, it up. So what you're saying is he maybe doesn't have a specific end goal he's working for. He's just trying to climb that ladder rung by <sighs> rung and get to where it takes him? I didn't say that, but it sounds it sounds good coming out of your mouth. Yeah, I, maybe. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's valid. And I'm sorry if I put words in your mouth. No, no, you didn't. I. It's just. It's. I don't know that I could have articulated it. But, but yeah, it feels. Next hand rung up. What can I do? What what shit can uh-huh. I make happen? What can I? You know, not that it's not strategic. Like the planting of these seeds is very strategic. He's going to put some cucumbers over here and some carrots over there. And so, you know, like he's. I think he's being very careful about what he does and how he does it, but. He knows they won't all bear fruit, or vegetables in my terrible analogy. Um, you know, and he's just kind of taking what the game gives him, almost. Right, yeah. And... Yeah, it's interesting. That's, that's, al- that's almost not enough credit. I mean, he's he makes the game give him things. I mean, the reason Sansa is in his hold is because he made it happen, right? Yes. And so it's... Man, he's such a good player. It's an interesting bit of being patient where he needs to be patient. And then taking that, playing that big hand when he needs to play the big hand. Right. And yeah, yeah, I, you know, he does such a good job of staying in the shadows and manipulating things outside of the spotlight. But I don't know. I just feel like someone who's worked this hard eventually wants to step into that spotlight and say, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look where I am now. I did it. So with that in mind, it's just, like you said, it's really puzzling to think about 
what where he wants to end up because this seems like it works out super well for Sansa and I'm not seeing a ton of big time benefit for Peter. It's interesting. But. Yeah. Other than continuing to rule through Sansa. I don't want to put Peter in this box, but there's there's that brilliant line in, in uh, The Dark Knight um, where Heath Ledger's uh, amazing Joker is talking about, you know, he's just, he's just in it for the chaos. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about how, like, he's just a dog chasing an ambulance. He, he has no idea what he'd do if he actually caught one. Mm-hmm. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. And I don't want to. I don't want to paint Peter that far down that path because I think he definitely wants to catch one. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm. I'm not sure he isn't just in it for the chaos. Yeah. I, Let's I turn this you. upside down. The world didn't give me what I wanted. I'm going to turn it upside down. So let's create a new one. Yeah. It's, I think that's valid. It's interesting to think uh, about. I don't know. I kind of, I want to go back now and listen to the Radio Westeros episodes on on Littlefinger because I, I listened to them, but I was distracted. I was doing a bunch of other work and stuff while I was listening, and I'd like to listen to that again. Mm-hmm. They're great episodes. Go listen to them. With all that time we've got, he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Matt. I knew a girl once uh, that uh, her husband died in coitus. Oh, it happened. Yeah, she wow. was a wreck. Similar to uh, Randa's situation, where yes, well, were... uh, yeah. I mean, they were somewhat newly married, and um, yeah died in the sack and uh she she was messed up she was a wreck for a while i mean i i knew her i think i didn't know her well she was a friend of a friend and um i think she was it was maybe like four months or so after it happened that i met her Mm -hmm. and uh she was just kind of on a she was getting drunk every night and going out and clubbing and just like she was yeah she was a bit messed up randa's handling it much better Yeah, so the guy had, like, something with his heart that just... Yeah, I think it was a heart attack. Yeah, I think so. Man, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Yuck. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, yeah. yuck. All right, what else you got? Um, You know, the Peter Baelish thing was a big thing I wanted to talk about, and we did. Uh, one interesting line, and it's not a spoiler, because... Yeah, well, it's in the text, but it's interesting. Um, Randa says they get news about the war, and it says that River Run has yielded, but Storm's End still holds for Lord Stannis. Yeah. Now, quick reminder to everybody where we left off is Jamie had given terms to Brendan the Blackfish and later to Edmure Tolley about what would happen if they yielded River Run but we didn't get confirmation that that had happened. Uh, So this is maybe telling us what did happen. However, the last news we got on Storm's End was that Loras had taken it, correct? Uh, No, Dragonstone. Dragonstone and Storm's End still hold for Stannis. 
So so that's yes. yes. So, so the I, interesting I, I, part I is that supposedly Loras took Dragonstone, right? Uh, and she's saying it still holds. Now maybe they just haven't had some news, but yeah, I mean that happened a little while ago. They've been praying praying for for Loras's recovery, as we'll read in the next chapter for Cersei, yeah. and. Now we had yeah. our rain, our rain waters, right? Had returned to King's Landing to report that mm-hmm. it had been taken, and he did return. Yes. It was just him that uh, reported that. So whatever that means, yeah. Um, but interesting that we're getting conflicting reports here. So. Yes, quite, quite interesting. So, uh, let's see. Is that it? Yeah, uh, Marillion can do wonderful things with his fingers. Um, who can't? Who well, can't? Me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Sansa thinks it would be so sweet to see John again. Aw. Yeah. 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 That's all. I think everything else I've got we can cover in Davos After Dark probably. All right. Uh, so the next thing we're going to do actually is a a question from our Patreon uh, campaign. Um, we do this uh, as part of one of the rewards for our patrons is that uh, they can ask us questions and we will, uh, you know, within reason, answer them on the podcast. And uh, we have a question first here from Archmacer June. She is a healer of the Lesser Foxes. And uh, she has asked us how much traveling we've done, mm-hmm. uh, where we've been and where we would like to go next. And also, just to keep it Song of Ice and Fire related, where we'd like to go in Westeros. Uh, you got some answers for that? I do. I'm afraid they won't be very satisfying as I'm a bit of a homebody, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not a huge traveler like uh, I know some of our friends on the who listen to the podcast are. Uh, coolest places I've been to is, of course, I've said on the podcast I lived in Brazil for two years and fell in love with that country and would would love to go back. I still haven't been back and, and it it hurts my heart that I haven't been back yet. Um, my wife and I are looking at planning a trip for maybe next year. So cool. hopefully we can get back there. I uh, went to Singapore a few years ago for work, and that was an amazing trip as well. That's the thing is once I get to the destination, I love being there. Yeah. <laughs> I just Maybe it's the, the stress of planning the trip that always prevents me from doing it. Um, but I loved Singapore. It was lovely as well. Uh what was the other one? Where would I like to go? Yeah. I'd love and to then get... where would you like to go in Westeros? Sure. I'd love to get down to New Zealand. Um, sounds just amazing. Uh, and then in Westeros, I, when I go somewhere, I want to just like sit back and relax and just like soak up relaxation time. So for that, I would love to see the beautiful, pristine nature of the reach so mm. put me around high garden somewhere like that where i can just maybe go on some fun hikes some fun rides but also just hang out in nature and that and, would a willis, be a, and willis's river barge perhaps uh, i'd be spending a lot of time with willis yeah perhaps making inappropriate advances towards him <laughs> oops i said inappropriate if, if he if he deems them so right uh what about right. you uh, well, I haven't. I wouldn't say I've done a lot of traveling. Uh, in 2010, my wife and I went to Europe, which mm-hmm. um, specifically, specifically London, Paris, uh, Venice, uh, Rome, and Florence. 
and we did it all way too fast. Um, it was, I call that trip the trip where we went some places and then hiked up a bunch of stuff to look down on them. Um, because that's, it seems like that's what we did, you know, churches and, you know, architecture and everything, just walking to the top of them, looking down on them and walking back down. And, uh, I lost like 20 pounds on that trip in like two weeks. It was crazy. Um, uh, don't worry. I found it all. I put it all back. Um, but, uh, I, I loved it. I love Europe. I'd love, I'd love to go back specifically to Paris, uh, and just spend more time kind of soaking in that culture a little bit. That was probably my favorite city. It kind of moves around a bit, which, which one I liked in, in my memory, like which one I liked best, but mm -hmm. I kind of keep coming back to that one. Um, and awesome. so I'd like to spend more time there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also not a great traveler. I'm, I'm, I'm a nervous traveler. I'm, if I don't know where things are, I'm, you know, worried about getting lost. I'm not, I'm not an adventurous enough traveler. Sure. It's one of the things I'd really like to be better at. Um, and so what I'd really like to do is plan for a trip where I can be somewhere for a while that I can get to know a little bit and relax mm -hmm. and just, you know, I'm not doing anything today. I'm going, I'm going to go out to a cafe and we're going to relax and we're going to sit in a park and read and we're going to, you know, not stress out and try to do a bunch of things. We're just going to kind of get to know the place a little bit. And that, that's what I'd like to do, I think. Very cool. Um, regarding Westeros, I mean, if I were, like, you know, a young a young buck, right, with no family and everything, I'd love to go see a, a shy because uh, so much mystery and unknown stuff and just craziness. The wall, too, would just be interesting. Yeah, wall but also, was second on my list. Yeah, just to see the spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Bravos. I've I've always been kind of drawn to Bravos in a way, hmm. so I'd like to see that. That's my answer. Cool, love it. Yeah. All right, uh, time to move on to Tyrion. You let's, ready? Let's do it. All right, have at it. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies, Tyrion Lannister or imp if you please. Okay, so she had been trained to saddle since she was a piglet. So Tyrion is pleasantly surprised to find pretty pig, even-tempered, and accepting of riders. That's right, Tyrion, mounted on pretty pig, is jousting opposite Penny, who is on her gray dog, Crunch. Tyrion is sure that somewhere in hell, both Tywin and Joffrey were watching him, both embarrassed and slightly amused. Now, he agreed to this farce despite the blow to his ego because the ship had been stuck on a windless sea for almost two weeks, and the sailors were beginning to think the dwarves, who were formerly thought of as lucky charms, perhaps weren't so lucky and perhaps even expendable. We have to make them laugh, Penny had explained. If we give them a show, it will help them forget. And they did indeed get a show, as Tyrion got his butt kicked by the more experienced mummy jouster, Penny. Mummer jouster, Penny, excuse me, not mummy jouster. Uh, later, Tyrion and Jorah have yet another of their um, friendly, amiable conversations. Um, Tyrion and Penny are planning to joust for Daenerys upon meeting her, with Tyrion using that as a bit of an endearing in to uh, getting into Danny's favor. 
Jorah disputes this, as Jorah disputes everything, saying that Danny will more than likely punish Tyrion for his crimes once he finds out, once she finds out who he is. Tyrion counters, wondering aloud how Danny will receive Jorah, deducing that she had banished Jorah upon finding out that he had been spying, and he suggests that maybe it's Jorah that should worry about being brought to justice. Uh, for all his deductive skill, Tyrion gets a solid punch to the dome that leaves him with a broken tooth. Uh, Jorah tells Tyrion to find another place to sleep, they were bunkmates, and stalks off. Uh, but in the end, Tyrion won, Jorah zero. Later, Penny asks why Jorah hurt him, and Tyrion tells her for love. He asks Penny if she is still a maiden, and when she says yes, Tyrion advises her to stay that way, saying that love is madness and lust is poison. Love is indeed a battlefield. As they speak, they begin to feel the ship move. Wind! But even as they feel this glimmer of hope, Tyrion goes up above decks and notices a deadly gray sky fast approaching and knows that its accompanying storm will not be a peaceful one. The Red Priest Makoro is on deck, and Tyrion comments that the widow said the ship would never reach her destination, but he thought that she'd meant they would just change course for Marine. Makoro confirms that the Red Priest saw this, this storm and that it is punishment from the Lord of Light. The storm rages violently as Tyrion and Penny huddle together below decks. Attempting to calm Penny, Tyrion tries to think of a game to play, when suddenly Penny kisses him. When I kissed you, it was like kissing my brother, is what Tyrion thinks. What's that? What's What movie's that on? I know it's on uh, some. But, I don't know. Yeah. He feels nothing, uh, essentially. But Tyrion, not wanting to hurt her feelings and knowing she doesn't really have feelings for him either, lets her down easy by claiming that they mustn't do more as he is still married and needs to be faithful to his wife. The girl deserves better than a pig, Tyrion thinks to himself later. An honest kiss, a little kindness, everyone deserves that much, however big or small. Aw, tiny Tim. The storm raged for all of that day and the next. Tyrion finally ventures up to the deck during a short moment of calm and is caught there as the storm suddenly returns. This time the sail is ripped away and the mast is destroyed on the ship. Even as the storm then calms, they are stuck. No way of moving. No sails. In all, as they begin the body count, they find out that nine men had been lost, including the Red Priest Makoro himself. They drift for 19 days, with tempers rising as food dwindles. Penny stays mostly below decks, trying not to call attention to the fact that she has a full-grown pig who is ripe for the eating. Uh, finally, a sail is sighted, and Tyrion is so excited to see it that he kisses Penny again. As the ship approaches, however, Jorah makes a frightening observation. What ship is that? Tyrion asks Jorah Mormont. Uh, can you read her name? Jorah, Jorah replies, I don't need to read her name. We're downwind. I can smell her. And then as he draws his sword, he says, that's a slaver. And the chapter ends.
Bum, bum, bum. You about to get caught, Tyrion. Yeah. Um. So, uh, what? Uh, I want to talk about Tyrion and Penny. Go for it. Well, I, I might I take to... a nap while you do that. <laughs> I was going to ask you <laughs> what you think of those two and uh, and their relationship and and Tyrion's thoughts in regards to her. That's a that's a big question with potentially a lot to to talk about. But uh, well, I'm think? probably going to let you down. Uh, it bores me. <laughs> I I don't. Neither of them are interested in each other in much of any way at all. Um, you know, Tyrion admits pity for her, uh-huh. uh, even some grudging respect, but he doesn't really like her. She doesn't like him either. They don't understand each other. There's nothing in that kiss. Neither of them are feeling anything. I'm bored by it. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I don't like. I. I mean, I can see perhaps that there's something in rebuilding some humanity in Tyrion by mm-hmm. having this relationship. But in general, I'm bored with it. it. You're right about the fact that there's not a lot connecting them other than simply their need to survive. Right? It's almost like they're clinging to each other. Because they have no one else to cling to. Can yep. we maybe say that? Sure. Um, but really, yeah, that's that's what's keeping them together. Um, for Tyrion, it's healthy for him, right? It's allowing him to feel some sort of sympathy and empathy again, which at the beginning of these books, he was having an awfully hard time feeling um, to care for someone even at his own expense, you know, he, he goes out of his way to make sure that her animals are protected because it's her livelihood. And I remembered that one scene in uh, Game of Thrones back where he talks about how he likes bacon and stuff. And <laughs> uh-huh. he, he might have been thinking about, how you know, 19 days at sea, he might have been thinking some bacon would be good, but he nevertheless protects her. And there's a bit of, of self uh, service there is he knows he may have to use pretty pig and crunch to joust for Daenerys but uh, nevertheless he, he protects her animals um, he allows her to kiss him of course um, thinking that he's just gonna let her and let her down easy and stuff like that uh, and we get little bits of this before in his past where he's 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 done things for others that kind of his just to be nice, you know, Bran's saddle that, or harness, I guess we'd call it, that, no, it was a saddle that he drew up plans for and gave to Rob. Uh, Podrick Payne, you know, some of the little things he did for Pod. So Tyrion's got this in him, and I guess the, it isn't the most fun relationship to read about, I agree with you, but it is nice to see him beginning to feel some of that sympathy and, and humanity again in his life, which you did admit to. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. And I guess I guess it just You're right. You convinced me. She's it's needed. I mean... It's part of his path to becoming a valuable human again. I mean, I, Tyrion is one of the more interesting characters in the series for me in the sense that he, I feel like he's a rock star at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um he's a dick, right? But he but well, he's uh, yeah. intelligent. He that fits the description some... of rock star. <laughs> yeah, sure. He does some nice things for a few people. He's intelligent. He gets shit done. 
that second book, I just love it because it's him running King's Landing. That's like, him at the top of his game, yeah. It's just running like a well-oiled machine. And um, and, and then you get the, these books. You said at the top of these books. I assume you mean the two we're reading now mm-hmm. um, where he's just a wreck, like you said, and he needs this. he needs some sort of arc to get back there and, you know, maybe cleaning pig shit up from a, during a storm where it's just – that's just picturing that, it just – makes me cringe pig shit flying all over the place but you know maybe that that's a metaphor for what he needs right of of he needs to get back to basics and back to just being a human taking care of shit right I like that and, back to basics yeah and, yeah and and rebuilding and um you know i argued that perhaps he started that journey um on the shy maid and um I'm not sure I'm wrong. He he kind of sure. like like any good alcoholic, he uh took some steps and then took a step back and mm-hmm. took some steps and took another big step back and yep. You know, now maybe he's taking some more steps. Taking more steps. And I'll admit Penny is not an incredibly interesting character to me. It's almost like she's meant to just be a foil for Tyrion. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the way she kind of embodies innocence and goodness and kindness in a way it's uh it's it's meant to be the complete opposite of Tyrion. it's you know an attempt to hang on to whatever remains of any type of goodness that Tyrion has inside him uh but other than that i i don't see as much interest in her as a character yeah no but you're right it gives it gives Tyrion an an opportunity to be a good person again to, to focus on her in a way and help her in a way that she needs and you know maybe one of the reasons that i identify with Tyrion so much or or that i enjoy his story so much is that maybe more than anybody in the books he is an illustration of you are what you do and you can be good and you can be shitty and depending on what you do that day, that's who you are. And Tyrion's been really shitty. And he's now being good. And the more good days you have, the better a person you are. Right? And there are certainly lines that can't be crossed and you can never recover from and you don't earn it back. But you can be good going forward. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, that's what he needs to do. That's what everybody needs to do. Yeah, sure. So, I like that. Well said. Um, and when Tyrion, <laughs> when he says an honest kiss, a little kindness, everyone deserves that much, however big or small. Little does Tyrion know he's actually talking about himself as well. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You ever here. you ever had one of those, Matt? A kiss you didn't want? Yes. Where you were like, I don't want this at all. It's happening. Yeah. Um, yes, there was, but it wasn't nearly, there were no strings attached to this one at all. In fact, it was, and there's no drama surrounding it or anything. Uh, this this girl in high school, she was kind of a crazy one, um, just came up to me one day at school and just, kissed me flat on the lips uh, and she, shock value just for and, shock value and she was just like just always wanted to do that oh, wow. 
<laughs> How about you? Never, no. <laughs> no, I wasn't... I'm not really... It's hard for our listeners who don't know me. Uh, I'm not really like the approachable, kissable type. Oh, come I th- on. I, th- I mean, I think people look at me and they're like, there's boundaries around that guy. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, not you, that I'm dangerous or anything no. or like I'm mysterious. You know, do you know what I mean? It's just like... You do come off as guarded. Yeah. I remember right. when I first met you that I, I didn't immediately approach you and start talking to you. Um, but once we did start talking, you know, here we are. So, right, I'm a I'm a nice enough amiable fellow, uh, but I don't give that away to, to just anybody. Sure, right? I'm I'm, you know, anyway. So no, I, I no, I've never had anything like that. Hmm. Um. I remembered what that line is of. I felt like I was kissing my brother. It's Back to the Future. This is all wrong. I I don't know what it is. But when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. Oh, yes. When his mom kisses him in the car. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) I can picture it. I can hear it in my head. Right. And I'm like, like, it's not Star Wars. Nope. I knew it was like an older movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing that came to me was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but nothing like that happens. That I thought so. of Goonies when she kisses Mikey instead of... Instead of Bran? Uh-huh. Uh, but, um, brand. Bran. Interesting time. Brand. Oh, Brand. There you go. Yeah, they, it is Brand. I had that moment, too, where I was like, oh, Brand! Uh-huh. Brand. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. So, how healthy is it, though, and maybe healthy is not the right word, but, you know, Penny teaching Tyrion about how to be a dwarf in a big person's world, right? Um, You know, Tyrion was always that guy who, you talked about a Clash of Kings, he's always that guy who was trying to reach higher uh, above the station that society has placed him in. Um, And I suppose there's a point where he needs to learn to kind of embrace who he is a bit and and you know that he is a dwarf and he will always be a dwarf but you know i worry that what what penny is explaining to him and she's doing it very innocently in in the way that she's kind of just lived to survive is kind of at the sacrifice of his dignity do you know what i mean so where's like the is it healthy for Penny to be talking to Tyrion about how to be a dwarf? And is there a, is there a middle ground there? Do you, does that make any sense? It makes sense, but it, but I, I think, I think that informs my opinion is that that informs upon what I said earlier about hmm. they just, they're, they don't understand each other. They don't really like each other. They don't, they don't at all understand where each other are coming from. Uh-huh. Penny doesn't understand that deferring to big people like that, would be for Tyrion to deny everything that he is, uh-huh. and that it would be, it would be erasing his entire personality, and she like she's so oblivious to who he is and how he is that that she still suggests that, and Tyrion for his part can't even 
can't even imagine trying to explain to her the difference, right? I mean, he says something like, my father used to call them small folk, and thinks that that, that, thinks that should be enough for her to be like, oh yeah, you grew up different than me. Right. But, you know, she doesn't get it, and... Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that there's any middle ground for Tyrion. I mean, Tyrion is who Tyrion is. You can't. Mm-hmm. I don't think he can pretend to be something else. Yeah, nor would we want him to. But, um, okay, I like that. Uh, I've got a word of the day. Word of the day. Yeah. But it's not. It's not a typical Davos Fingers word of the day where <laughs> we make a word up. It was actually a word in the text that I'd never heard before. Mm. Um, uh, and so I looked it up and it made me laugh. There's Ooh. a point where Tyrion Quiz calls, me. Let's see if I know it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. You're infinitely more intelligent than I am. So oh, come on. You probably use this on a weekly basis at least. It's um, not even remotely true. There's a point where Tyrion calls Jorah behind his back Sir Bezoar or Bezoar I don't even know how to pronounce it B-E-Z-O-A-R Bezor Bezoar uh do you know what that is I have no idea what that is I looked it up a Bezoar that's how I'm going to choose to pronounce it one of our medical friends I know someone who listens to the podcast is a is an actual doctor so there's a couple actually uh, yeah, there's there's at least two that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, so, well, ladies, the, aforeman- the aforementioned Archmaester June, I think, is in that field. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. We have a few. Mm-hmm. We have a few. Yes. Uh, a bazaar, and correct us if I'm wrong, ladies. Uh, but the definition of it is a mass found trapped in the gastrointestinal system. Though it can occur wow. in other locations. <laughs> so he's essentially calling Jorah someone who causes him in indigestion or something like that. <laughs> or or like or like a bad bowel movement. Right? right? Yep. Like you can't digest I can't digest you, like, it, yep. like you're Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So that made it just just dang funny to me. That's gross. And yeah. does Jorah know what that is? Probably, <laughs> Probably not. not. I believe, and I didn't put the context down in my notes, and now I can't remember. I believe he calls Jorah that to Penny when Jorah's not in his presence. But yeah, and Penny definitely knows what it is. Sure. Because Penny knows everything. Uh, anyways, I think that's all I've got. Do you have anything else for this chapter? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of little things. Okay. Uh, just a quick little quote. I know a thing or two about the gratitude of kings, and I'd sooner have a place in Valyria. <laughs> uh, something that Tyrion says. Um, I just wanted to talk real quick about uh, Tyrion's plan to kind of get in the good graces of Daenerys. Sure. I think he has the right of it uh, in my in my life, and I'm not Tyrion, but in my life. You know, you wear them down with humor. <laughs> then you show them what you are after they, you know, think you're funny. Yeah. And it's how I gained interest from any lady who ever smiled in my direction at all. Um, and it's, you know, it's not like any sort of evil hand-wringing, uh, you know, plot or anything. It's just, you dis- you you know, disarm them with the humor. Disarming, and, yeah. Yeah. It's how you and, got me. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh so you know i think he's i think he's got a good plan 
uh uh-huh. you know it's still a risky plan but a good plan knowing what we know of danny it seems like danny from a book ago would have been she would just been totally charmed by this and yeah and thought it was wonderful the danny that we know right now is like so stressed out uh and of course Tyrion has no way of knowing that that's um would be interesting to see how she would react to them or if she would even give them the time of day or what but yeah yeah Yeah, no that's true uh it's almost like he he would be better served with the current danny to just tell him who she is and why he's here and what he can do for her and maybe that would help Uh right like hey i know things about dragons want to learn them (laughs) you know yep like anyway bypass the bull crap so yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's not a good plan, but he has no idea. But he has no idea. Yes, from his perspective, I agree with you. Disarm, and then move on in. So. And, and then I only really had, I only really had one 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 thing. Let's hear it. Just this, just the red god stuff again. I mean, look, mm. I hate this religion as much as the next guy. Like, they're violent and mean and. I, it's it's I I dislike this religion more than any of them probably in the whole book, <laughs> but they know stuff. They like there's power there, and I I don't know. I mean, at one point, green flames shoot out of the staff, out of Makoro's staff. Yeah. I mean, reminiscent that's like of legitimate wildfire, magic. But yeah, like I mean, unless it's you know maybe it's powders and stuff like Mel uses or like you know, but mm-hmm. it sounded more impressive than that. Oh, I agree. Anyway, I I don't have anything to say about it other than I'm just you. You guys, are, you guys are my are my group, my therapy group. I'm Scott, and I'm coming to terms with R'hllor as the real God. That's oh. my confession for the day. Because I, I maybe he's maybe he's the devil and not God, but there's, I mean, there's power there. There's you, power. You can't deny it. That's it's, what Stannis said about Melisandre right yeah clear back in in a cock yep she has power you know so that's it i just wanted to drop that in because it's a somewhat important part of the chapter so interesting yeah and uh apparently he's wiped out though yeah yeah well yeah also we also weird because it sounds like he knew it was going to happen and still chose to go exactly he knew it was going to happen so now he's dead okay weird but Yeah. yeah very strange um but you know, there's a million of them out there, right? Makoro is simply one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, seriously, ready to move on? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Alluring eyes can get the guys with promises, lies, then cast aside. Can't she be the man she thinks her family needs? One brother she hates, with the other she mates. Those debts can she repay? Cersei Lannister. <sighs> Ready for some consonants? Here we go. The miraculously mad Machiavellian machinations of Cersei Lannister continue in this POV chapter. So let's all play the popular new game show, How to Frame Your Daughter-in-Law for Treason! <laughs> My is seriously busy. Uh, Giles Rosby has finally sloughed off his mortal coil, his handkerchief given a much-deserved vacation, and Cersei is pinning his death on Pycelle. Well, that and Marjorie, 
Surely Pycelle could have saved the man if she had if Marjorie hadn't coerced him to murder him. Wait, what? Don't worry, true believers. It's all a ruse to get at the juiciest fruit. By scaring Pycelle with these accusations of murder and threatening to throw him back in the black cells, she's able to get him to confess that he is supplying moon tea to Queen Marjorie. Cersei surmises that there is only one need for moon tea. Treason. But she needs more. The confession of a doddering old fool long in the pockets of the Lannisters won't be enough. So, how to frame your daughter-in-law for treason must enter round two. Cersei still needs the Tyrell support to finish out this war, so she must find some way to prove Marjorie's guilt in a way that even Mace can't defend. But everything they've learned is that Marjorie is never alone, so it must be a conspiracy. They all be fucking, yo! All the cousins are horny little teenagers banging the night singers, doctors, etc. that come by, right? Back to that later. Cersei sups with Tana and Lord Merriweather, promoting Orton to the office of Hand, moving Harris Swift, the former Hand, to Master of Coin. This move meant to make sure someone is in charge that will go along with Cersei's upcoming accusations. While dining with these two, the Blue Bard plays for them. But he's really the one getting played here. He's accused of banging Marjorie, not allowed to defend himself, and summarily given to Kyburn for confession time. Credit to the blue bastard, though, he's stubborn, and eventually only really used as yet another building block in this conspiracy. He was mostly busy as hell playing You Shook Me All Night Long, while half the court fornicated with Marjorie and her cousins. Among those evil fornicators, Sir Talus the Tall, Lambert Turnberry, Jalabar Show of the Summer Islands, the Red Wine Twins, Osney Kettleblack, Hugh Clifton, and yes, her own brother, Loris Tyrell. Editing that list for her own political needs was no problem, though, so Loras and the Red Wines were scrubbed from that list. Well played by the Queen, but final jeopardy still remains! Is her daughter-in-law treasonous? Find out after the break. Break's over. Cersei still needed more, <clears throat> evidence. So as they bathe together, Tana suggests Alla, a shy Tyrell cousin, could be spared all of this, should she turn confessor as well. Cue Emperor Palpatine. Good. Good. But what Cersei really, really needed was a confession from one of the accused. Did someone just say the name Kettleblack? Well, he comes a-running. Cersei convinces one of the Kettleblacks, I forget which one, to confess to the High Septon of fucking Marjorie, Eleanor, and Mega, but never Alla, to get this ball rolling. He will be sent to the Wall for a short time, of course, but forgiven quickly. He's hesitant, but Cersei's own, um, wiles, fruits... It's her vagina, guys. Her vagina is enough to convince him. Thank you for playing. Is my daughter-in-law guilty of treason? It certainly looks like she is guilty based on all these confessions. Let's find out what Cersei wins. End of chapter. <laughs> so, a little Fun hard game. to follow that chapter. And I, my summary, I thought it was good, but it feels like maybe it was a little disjointed. No, I was Basically, giggling. I was giggling right. on mute. I'm glad you were giggling. Basically, the story here is Cersei plots through the whole chapter of a way to make Marjorie guilty mm -hmm. of treason by sleeping with somebody else uh, while she's married to the king. And, well, I have, a, I have another word of the day, uh, one, of, one of our concoctions. An actual word of the day. Word of the day! Yeah! Sincerely. <laughs> Believing so strongly in your own interpretation of facts 
that they become real not just to you, but to others as well with the earnestness with which you communicate them. Sincerely. <laughs> so, like, the stuff with the blue bard where she gets him to admit things that aren't true and she believes them after he says them? Yes. Kind of like that. She's, con- she's convinced herself that these things have actually happened. <laughs> like, when he's denying it, when he's denying the things for so long, she's like, oh, maybe we got the wrong singer. Right. Like, she's convinced someone actually did sleep with Marjorie. She just got the wrong one in the room or something. <laughs> and then Like, when he... no, no <laughs> one did it. Seriously? Then when, like... he does, when he does spill the beans, she's like, oh, there it is. Knew it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, like, I like so. Um, I feel for Cersei sometimes because, uh, as as was indicated uh, in the chat thread that that I promoted last last episode uh, by uh, oh, what was her name Katrina Katrina, um, you know she's had she's had a rough go of it in her life, um, but wherever whatever got her to where she is. I think she's, at this point, got to be considered legitimately insane. Absolutely. Like, she's actually... Her brain isn't functioning properly There is, There is mental just incapabilities at this point. Yes. She's sick. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. She says after she sees the blue bard all messed up from his torture and everything, she says her, meaning Marjorie... Her scheming forced this on me. Yeah, this is more sincerity. Mm-hmm. Uh, her Sincer- scheming, sincerity, sincer- sincer- sincerity, sincerity. Thank you. <laughs> her scheming forced this on me. She has soiled me with her treachery. Yeah, she forced me to do this to the blue bard. That's yes. what Cersei is saying, and you know that inability to to accept any sort of personal accountability, which she's demonstrated on a number of occasions, is just another way of her... She never learns because she yeah. never takes any sort of accountability. But, and that just is one of the symptoms of what's going on in her head. Go ahead. It's a symptom for sure, but I, I feel like there is a slight difference in this chapter than the previous ones where she simply like refuses to accept responsibility. In the previous instances where she refuses to accept responsibility for things, she finds ways to blame other people that are somewhat reasonable. In this case, she's like literally making things up and then believing them to be oh, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not like making them up and pretending they're true. Yeah. Believing them to be true. Uh-huh. Convincing herself of a reality that does not exist. Yep. That she created. <laughs> right. And... Or Man. that she engineered into plays or something. Yes. Yeah. Man. And what's crazy is, you know, with her manipulation of Pycelle that we see and later with Osney, is she's got a way of getting what she wants. Yeah. She's, she's good at what she does. She's, yeah. She's very good about knowing which buttons to push on which people. You know? Yeah. She knows how to get what she wants out of Pycelle. And how to needle him? She wants Osney Kettleblack goes straight for the go straight for the wiener, right? Yep. And he's gonna he's gonna do what she wants. Problem is, it reminds me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish your finish your point. 
Well, I was just going to say that her problem is, is that this manufactured confidence that she's built around herself or this manufactured reality makes her completely blind to when perhaps she herself is being manipulated. Yes. And sometimes by other people and sometimes by herself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's a fair yeah. amount of self-sabotage here that if someone can't see it, they're blind. But, uh, go ahead. Well, well, I was just going to say in the middle there, you were talking about how you know she, she knows how to push the buttons. And it reminds me a little bit of the Tyrion chapters we were just talking about previously hmm. in A Clash of Kings, where he's just he's just moving through people in the city and getting what he wants and getting the questions and manipulating people and getting to the ends he needs. She's doing the same thing. It's just served with a side order of fucking crazy. Yep. Right? But she's getting it done. I mean, like, the side effects, we'll, you know, we'll see, but she's getting it done. Mm-hmm. So she's got some unique talents there, mm. but uh, like you said, served up with a healthy dose of crazy. Uh, it's definitely a little scary. I, yeah. I I had to laugh when she accuses Picel of just wanting to put together a list. Yeah. Uh, I can well imagine the sort of list you would provide me. Graybeards and Grasping Fools and Garth the Gross, which yes. apart from Garth the Gross specifically, is exactly the small council that Cersei has built for herself. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yep. For yep. the precise reason of wanting to be able to manipulate them. And then she complains when they can't put together a coherent thought. But yeah, I just love her. I also love how, similarly with Pycelle, how she, how he gets berated for serving House Lannister by opening the gates. Uh-huh. Like, I serve nothing, but I always serve the king. Is that what you were doing when you opened those gates for those terrorists, the Lannisters? Wait like, a second. Wait, what? <laughs> I have to answer to you about helping you? Who am I talking to here? Uh, like, he can't win. Well, it's kind of like... You can't win! It's kind of like, you know, the... Uh, so a little rocky for you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Very good. It took me a minute. Uh, it's kind of like J how Jamie felt when Eddard Stark was so antagonistic of him. And Jamie's like, I helped you win the war? Like, what? You know, and yeah. Jamie's calling it, or Eddard's calling him Kingslayer and everything. Wait, I didn't I help? Didn't uh, I just do this for you? Wasn't I on yeah. your side? But yeah, it's funny. Also, uh, Pycelle's uh, threatened dismissal echoes Barristan's as well, right? Ah, too many kings you've served that died. You're out, <laughs> right? Yeah, you obviously don't have a good track record. You don't know what you're doing. Look at all this. You only served for 60 years. Three people died. Uh -huh. What's wrong with you? <sighs> you know these chapters though with cersei i just love them they're just absolutely delicious there's so much to they're on. they're entertaining and maddening at the same time absolutely yeah absolutely uh and really disgusting that mm. torture scene with the blue bard was just how hard was that to read it was hard Kyburn snipping off his nipple it's just yeah. disgusting but, um yeah. recently our 
another friend, poor Quentin, um, he's put together an essay series about Theon Greyjoy. Have you mm-hmm. read? Have you been able to read any of those yet? Uh, I think I I didn't read the most recent one, uh, but I have read some in the past. Yeah, it's excellent. He just released a, a new part dealing with Theon's arc in um, specifically in these books that we're reading. Yeah, yeah, Reek and Beyond, um, and he talks about how George is careful to not show any actual scenes of Ramsay torturing Theon. Right. We don't, as far as I know, as far as I can remember, we don't actually see that in book. Uh, mm. And that's purposeful, as poor Quentin notes, because we're leaves meant to see... Leaves it up to our imagination. It leaves it up to our imagination, which can be quite grotesque. And instead, it focuses on what the torture has done to Theon. Mm. So it's, the it's, it's keeping a focus on Theon as the character rather than the act of torture itself. Here... It turns it on its head a little bit. We actually get to see in graphic detail the torture of the blue bard. Um, but I think it's because the after effects on the person being tortured aren't as important. The blue bard, God love him, is more of a minor character. And watching the torture is a way for us to learn more about not only Kyburn and how sick he is, uh, but also Cersei herself, who, in this you, you know this manufactured reality, this sincerity, uh, she believes is something she has to go through and view in order to get to the right of a situation, you know, and or get to the truth, the truth that she wants to believe. So it's interesting to see how here George does use that graphic torture scene to teach us about these main characters cersei in particular right yeah that's really interesting that about theon you know it's 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 uh it's less about i mean he 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 talks about like oh missing a finger my my feet are off balance because i'm missing the toes i got smashed in the teeth with a hammer right yeah but it's but it's always more usually about what those deformities do to his confidence and Uh to his sense of self right who they, what those injuries make him as a person, mm-hmm. rather rather than the physical effects, versus you know this new third eye that he's been, that that the blue bard has been given, oh. his nipple is ripped off, and the, the you know the boots filled with blood and, and all these things. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, did I just provide a natural but unintentional segue into our next chapter? Or did you have anything else you wanted to? Um, talk about. just real quick about, uh, Tana. We, we've mm. talked about Tana before. Mm. Um, she's just, she's becoming one of those characters that I, in this reread that I focus on more that I never thought much about. Sure. Yeah. I can not, see not that. that I didn't see before, you know, what she, what she was doing, uh, maybe, but, but just, I cared less, but I'm, I'm more interested now. Like what really is her game? Uh-huh. And... You know, are we going to see Orton Merriweather on on the Iron Throne? You know, like <laughs> is like, she like the what is Slayer? <laughs> like Peter? Like what is she after? What does she want? Yeah, I mean, it feel it felt early on. I think I felt like she was in bed, not literally with with Marjorie, um, you know, and serving her. But I don't know that anymore. I I I really don't know what what her deal is. One thing we do know is she has got Cersei wrapped around her finger. 
Yeah. That's where I'm talking about where it's everything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where Cersei is blind to when she herself is being manipulated. Yeah. And, you know, Tana suggests even a slight thing. She's the one that put some of those ideas about Marjorie in Cersei's head. And all she had to do was just mention it. And Cersei's like, yep, let's do it. Great idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally what we're doing. Right. She doesn't even question it. Right. And uh, yeah, you know. Cersei is getting played and she, potentially and uh, she has no idea I guess we don't know um, we, we're not we don't know that head, but, but it feels that way it definitely yeah. does feel that way yeah okay the last thing I want to say about this before we move on is just uh, because it's in the episode title um, mm. she mentioned several times in this chapter that you know she's doing this for Tommen for her children mm-hmm. um, it's it's one of those things she says so often that I think she believes it she does um and i'm not i'm not sure it's true we've talked about that before as well um i just wanted to throw that out there she she's the subtext of this whole chapter really is i'm doing all this for tommen yep all these despicable horrible things i'm doing to people and manipulating them it's it's for tommen and so i just wanted to throw that out there because i hadn't really mentioned it until now and she is sincerity in that Yes, very. It's the height of her sincerity. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, we've got another patron question here. Oh yes, we do. Uh, this one is <laughs> from Colin. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm curious uh, as to how much thought and, and energy you put into this. I, I uh, did. I, I put I put a fair amount in. I wanted to do right by you. Oh, good. I well, don't know if you like it, but <laughs> I go. Well, all right. We'll see. Uh, when you hear the dial tone on the end, do they? They don't make dial tones, do they? When you hear the dial tone in the end, and I've hung up on you, you'll know how much I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. The question is, Matt, what would Scad's words and sigil be? Scad, what would Matt's be? Right. Thank you for call, calling for weighing in on that. Yeah. Thanks and, a lot, uh, buddy. Now the answer. <laughs> I'll let you go first since I went first sure. last time. You did indeed. So uh, for your sigil. I have a blue loot on a burgundy field. Ooh, pretty. It's uh, Av's colors for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, and for your words, I went with fiercely loyal, never discordant. <laughs> sounds like a uh, beer ad. It does. Yeah, kind of like a, a dog, too. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, thank you. I take Dial those tone. both as, as compliments. I am fiercely loyal to the point that I get myself in trouble. And uh, and I'm fairly agreeable, too. <laughs> well, it was also a music reference. I didn't catch... Oh, well, the guitar. Discordant. I see. Yep. It's, it, it is a character thing of being agreeable and, and nice, but also mm-hmm. the music component of Discordant. Very good. Two meanings. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't have a double meaning in yours. It's a little more straightforward. <laughs> straightforward <laughs> words for a straightforward man, Matt. Yes. That's um, what I am. So your sigil is a fountain that is like is flowing kind of into a chalice. Okay. Because you're an mm-hmm. alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, look, you're not off by much. 
<laughs> no, it's not that at all. Uh, but I had to, that's my double meaning actually, is there's more to it, but that's one of them <laughs> is that he liked to drink. No. <laughs> Are you still off? You were doing the no alcohol thing for a while. I do the no alcohol thing every once in a while. And that's then good. I Have do a little it cleanse. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. Um, your your words your house word your house words are every last drop and what wow. i mean by that is your extreme and admirable propensity of thoroughness mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. i admire that about you to the moon and back that uh, you have the ability to take a topic or a problem or a challenge and research that thing down to the bone until you have explored every avenue, found out all that you can know. And that's really a weapon, I think. And, and it's something that you use very well professionally and on this podcast and in a lot of things. So every last drop is uh, are your house words because of that talent and ability that you have. Thanks, man. You definitely did right by me. Sweet. I will take that. And the chalice, of course, maybe hearkening back to Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones. The wisdom. It's, it's and a plain. It's a like plain. That. It's a plain chalice. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not. There's no jewels yeah. on this thing. Yeah. Right. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, okay. Well, let's move. Should we move on to the turn cloak? Mm-hmm. All right. His daddy lost a war, so he's living in the north. Now he's almost stuck between being a kraken and a wolf. Yes, the young Greyjoy. With a smile so sly, put an arrow through your eye, yes, Dion, Greyjoy. Make a lady scream and a wonder be a king, yes, Dion, Greyjoy. Loyalty speaks, but there's something there that rigs, yes, Dion, Greyjoy. Roose Bolton and his army wait at Winterfell, convinced of their advantage over Stannis, a southern that isn't comfortable in the north and all these snows. They have walls, shelter, food, and firewood, something Stannis does not have. Like I said, they like their situation. Theon is one of these number, but he grows uneasy and thinks of escape. You see, his role to approve that Faria is Arya is through now, and he fears what may befall him when Ramsay tires of his new bride. In the hall, Theon eats his gruel and is approached by one of Mance's washerwomen, Rowan, seemingly offering herself to him for naught but some information about how he took Winterfell. This is not Theon's first dog and pony show, though. He knows that any information he leaks could get him in trouble. Rowan herself, for all he knows, could be a Bolton spy. So, Theon finishes his meal and wanders the castle, checking out all his old haunts, musing over the strength of the walls of Winterfell, how difficult it would be to take. The only weakness, perhaps, was that they were not well supplied at Winterfell at the moment. The storeroom's close to empty. But then again, Stannis would certainly be poorly supplied as well. His feet take him to the godswood, where he can barely even get out the words to ask a higher power for power for help. He makes his way back for another meal, and Lady Dustin seeks him out again. This time she wants something, something specific. He surely knows the way into the crypts. He confirms and makes good on the claim. They dig out the entrance to the crypts, and Lady Dustin works her way down, a lady on a mission. She mentions to Reek that the Northmen hear Arya crying, and that Roos is worried about it having a negative effect on the Northmen. Theon is well aware of what Ramsay's been doing to Jane. He sees the results nightly as he joins a party of bathers that make sure Ramsay's bride is pristinely clean. They reach the crypts, 
walk to the end so Lady Dust can see what Brandon, I guess. It isn't really clear what she's there to see, but one thing that is clear is that we get some awesome insight into these two characters due to the trip uh, below ground. Lady Dustin appears very uncomfortable as she looks at the stony representations of these Starks of Winterfell, and Theon can't help but ask, My lady, why do you hate the Starks? She replies, For the same reason you love them. I wanted to be one of them, and never could. A source for much of the of who these two interesting characters have become and what baggage they carry. Lady Dustin proceeds to tell her tale. Brandon was fostered at Barrow Town, and the two fell in love, at least according to her, and wanted to marry. But Lord Rickard had, she claims, southern ambitions and needed his heir to make a powerful match in the south. She was left with Lord Dustin after Cat claimed one Stark son and then the other. But the Starks took a, took Lord Dustin away from her too to war this time, where he died fighting at the Tower of Joy with Ned. Ned couldn't even be bothered to bring his bones back, and Lady Dustin assures Theon that Ned's bones won't be making it back either. She's going to give them to her dogs. With that, they're done with this trip and this discussion. Barbary threatens Theon should he repeat anything he's heard, and walks away. And that's the end of the chapter. A curious chapter. Curious indeed. Dude. I think that's pretty dang cool of Eddard to bring back his horse. <laughs> As opposed to, like, gifting it or something? Well, I mean, we don't know if he brought back any of the other people who died at the Tower of Joy's stuff with him. But we don't. He, he brought back that horse for Lady Dustin. And I think that's a pretty cool gesture on Eddard's part. Sorry well, he didn't bring the bones back. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember like what it would mean to bring the bones back. Sure. It's not like he's been dead for years and he has bones. He's a stinking, rotting corpse uh-huh. that they'd have to weighs, you know, 200 pounds that they'd have to... The Silent Sisters would have to... Well, yeah, maybe. Are they... Clean him up. In the Red Mountains of... I mean, yeah. who knows? Like, do they have to leave him there and send somebody to get him and then bring him back? I mean, it's... P.S. The rebellion just ended, so they're pretty busy right now cleaning <laughs> yeah. up their bodies. <laughs> right. Know, they're a little booked out. But anyway, I mean, he... he... Yeah, I don't know. Did he take... Did he take Arthur Dane to Starfall? I don't remember. He did return the sword, right? He returned the sword, but maybe not the body. I don't know. You know, I who knows what the precedent is. Somebody tell us. What's what's what is what is high courtesy when you're taking somebody off to battle and they die for you? I Do mean, you bring yeah. their bones back? I don't know. I Well, it's I mean like yeah, it was kind of a little expedition, but it's not like a battle commander is going to bring back every body back that died in his service. Um, no, but these were like a special seven, right? It was right? Like, like kind of a special kind of expeditionary guard, uh, yeah. Seal Team Six type thing. Um, would it have been a Seal good Team to Six that could barely take out three people? Sure. Maybe it was the three guys that were the Seal Team Six. Yeah, three Seal Team Three guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think it's pretty cool that he at least brought back a horse. Yeah. Yeah. Never discordant. Never discordant. Uh. Hmm. I don't know. I so so. Well, let's talk about 
Lady Dustin, I guess. Let's. Do do you believe her story about Brandon, or is this sour grapes from somebody that got left behind? You know, I have no reason not to believe her. Yeah. And I don't feel like she has... And I think we might get into this in Davos After Dark, but I don't feel like she's got a big reason to lie to Theon. She also doesn't have a big reason to tell him the truth. I don't know why she's talking to him at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't either. It's like, what? <laughs> what did I do to yeah. suddenly become your confidant? But Yes. It's a weird... It's a, You almost just like... I mean, I know in the last episode I said I just kind of... I caught from some blackboard on Twitter. I just kind of trust her for some reason. Uh-huh. Um, but but I'm I'm walking back from that a little bit. It's like what is she almost just feels like somebody who's so lonely she needs somebody to talk to. It's like when you're on a plane and the person next to you just starts spilling oh, the beans. The worst. And it's the worst. Do you feeling. not see that I've got headphones in? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sad how terrible humans we are, Matt. We like are. we don't want to talk to people at all. I would it's rather like this not. person just wants to tell me their story and I'm like, I got Ugh. I haven't listened to Metallica's Black Album in so long. Just, right. Yeah. Can we just not can do we this? Just not? How about you write it down and give it to me? And I'll take <laughs> it like I'm going to read it and I won't. But you could think I will. <laughs> but it's so, that's, that's so bad because... It is. It is. Ugh, the best moments in life really are like the ones where you actually connect with somebody. For like... Even you know, for like a time. somebody you don't know. For yeah. like... Yeah, and you both yeah. leave and go your separate ways, but yeah. there's that connection at least for an hour or whatever. Yeah, I agree with you. But the headphones, though, you know, <sighs> me, me, me. Anyway. We are, yep, we are a selfish lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so you believe her? I'm sure. maybe on the fence. Sure, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, all right, so. So what? So let's let's follow that up then. Well, I get. We'll, we'll probably talk about some of that in Davos After Dark. Let's talk about Theon then. I feel this chapter, and we we talked about it a little bit in the uh, in the uh, the chapter with was it Tyrion, hmm. uh, or maybe it was Elaine, where you know Theon has kind of lost himself. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this chapter, and again, this is one of those things. I don't I don't feel like I recognized this on other re- reads, but. This chapter and the last one with the wedding, he wanders around in these places that he spent so much time as a boy at. Right. In remembering what he was like when he was there, giving him a reminder of the person he is or was. Mm-hmm. Kind of letting that cre- letting that essence of himself creep back in. And I think Winterfell itself, I'm not saying it's magic or anything, but it is. We all know it is. Sure. The Winterfell itself is responsible for returning Theon to who he is, right? Or, or starting that path, that journey. Totally the just catalyst. By, just, yeah. just by being there. Mm-hmm. Just by seeing... One of the notes that I, I made in, in the, for the last episode that we never got to talk about was just the overarching... Calling the theme is probably wrong, but the theme of just white and gray seeping through every page of that wedding uh, chapter, mm-hmm. uh, the Prince of Winterfell, where it's just everything is white, everything is gray. You can't escape it anywhere. That's the starkness, Very just cool. enveloping 
the scene of Winterfell mm-hmm. and also Theon himself. And it's just it's it's the start of him kind of I think remembering who he is. And I don't know exactly where I'm going with it, but but I think it's I, th- I think it's more than him just wandering around because he's bored. You're absolutely right, and I think it's very important to bring that up uh, because this this it's a redemption arc, right? And then what makes George a brilliant writer is that that arc alone would be good enough, I think, for some writers. Probably even me, if I was writing one. I would think that's good enough that he's going back to his former childhood home and it's bringing back all these memories and reminding him of his identity and stuff like that, his true identity. But Gurm throws in one more wrinkle, and that is that Winterfell is still in ruins, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because, in large part, of him... And so not only does he feel this drawback to who he was as Theon, but he also has this guilt piled on top of it for what he did to Winterfell and to the Stark family, right? And so it's very interesting to see how Theon couples with all of that. Because you'd think that if it was just him being back in Winterfell, there would be there would be some hope, something for him to grasp onto. But then now he's got this crushing guilt going mm-hmm. along with it where he just can't find any relief, right? Yeah. And that's so fascinating that George has coupled those two things together, I think. Indeed. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Oh, he's in a bad spot. <laughs> he's not in a good spot, but at least he's thinking. He is. Right? Yes. At least he's like thinking about escaping Uh like those are thoughts that never even would have occurred to him before right they're beaten out of him um in fact he did it once right and got beaten up real good for it and it hasn't come to him since right so (sighs) it shows what a brilliant and just oh grotesque manipulator that ramsey is and so effective in what he does that he doesn't have to really guard Theon at all times, right? He can, he, Theon's got free roam of the castle, as we saw in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because Ramsay has psychologically imprisoned Theon. He's made Theon believe that there is no way that he can escape uh, the line. I, I put down the exact quote. Even you mentioned he thought about escaping. He follows that up with, even if he found some way out, he wouldn't have trusted it. Yep. Right? Yeah. And Theon, Ramsay has manipulated Theon to the point that Theon imprisons himself. And that's, that is some sick, sick stuff going on. And I think we see it a lot with, uh, you know, with modern day kidnappers and things like that. Uh, The Elizabeth Smart story comes to mind here in the U.S. in Utah, where she was found and for a bit there, she didn't want to go home to her family because she had been so manipulated and such by her captors right and that's crazy yeah crazy okay um why do you think Roos sends this message about Arya to theon via lady dustin 
about keep Jane quiet, keep Arya quiet. Uh huh. Like so, let me let me let me give my the basis for my question. Okay. We've seen Roos have no problem at all pulling Ramsay aside and being like, "Look, Dick, sure. you're not doing this right. Mm-hmm. This is the way. Treat the small folk this way. This is how you get a good rule. These things." Like, why doesn't he just go to Ramsay and be like, you need to be more careful? Mm-hmm. Instead, he says, Lady Dustin, ask Theon to intercede, right? Uh, yes. Interesting point to your first question. I'd interpreted that moment a little bit differently. I interpreted it more as just an observation that Barbary had made about Roos. Oh. Like, hey, you know, it's I can tell it's bugging him. Tell her to be quiet. Uh, yeah. But still the fact remains is that if she's observed that about Roos, you've still got a valid question there. Why hasn't Roos said anything to Ramsay? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, no, you're right. So I'm, I'm reading it now. Um, the Bride Weeps, Our Little Lady Arya says Lady Dustin. Mm-hmm. Theon says, take care, take care, take care. As you say, as you say, my lady. Roos is not pleased. Tell your bastard that. Mm-hmm. So, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't absolutely, it, it absolutely doesn't say that Roos wanted that communicated. Lady Dustin wants it communicated. Sure. So you're right, it's well, a different question. Yeah, it could go either way. Uh, but, yeah, it, it still is a little bit interesting, though, if, if it's obviously bugging Roos and it's causing discord and he's noticed that, why isn't he putting a stop to it? Roos is weird, yeah. man. Yes. I mean, that question that we talked about a few episodes back of Roos admitting that Ramsay probably killed his first son and probably will yes. kill he and Walda's children, that's never, that's always like been a craw in me. Like, I've never been able to puzzle that one out over it like what then why is he still around (laughs) yeah no it's like he's in human it's like he's some other type of animal that doesn't care about his young or Uh yeah it's weird if he's if you think he's gonna kill you someday and he's gonna kill your posterity why 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 so i don't get almost almost a similar question you asked about peter baelish earlier Mm. like what's roos in it for if he doesn't Mm mm-hmm care about like the legacy of you know what i mean like right and i think the weak answer that i offered up at the time was that maybe roos just wanted to see him break himself break that glass ceiling in the north yeah. and that was good right. enough for him um but that doesn't that doesn't that's not satisfying i don't know yeah not to me anyways. how about uh how about these washerwomen cozying up she was she was down to clown with old broken Theon Greyjoy. She was, and we see another one clowning around with uh, the old Risewell. Riswell. Was it Risewell? Yeah. yeah. Rickard. Yeah. There is that is that Davos after dark talk. It is, but they're definitely fishing for some kind of information. She's just not looking for song inspiration from Theon. Yeah. Well, no, she says specifically, she's asking, like, how did you get into Winterfell? Well, yeah, and she says that Abel will, <laughs> like, Abel will write a song about it. You yeah. Know? We want we want to record this in a song. You're an oh, inspiration. Right. right. But, yeah, it's not what she wants it for. There's something going yeah. on. Right. Dun, 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 dun. 
Yeah, cover it there. Uh, there's uh, there's a bit with Theon in the Godswood. Mm-hmm. Where he struggles to ask for assistance. He does ask. I think he says, save me. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can find it. A thin film of ice covered the surface of the pool beneath the weirwood. Theon sank to his knees beside it. Please, he murmured through his broken teeth. I never meant... The words caught in his throat. Save me, he finally managed. Give me... What? Strength? Courage? Mercy? Snow fell around him, pale and silent, keeping its own counsel. And then he goes on to hear Jane sobbing and other stuff. Uh-huh. It goes back to the great point that you made about gray and white and stark mm. you know in the end permeating everything that theon is he's never struck me as a, a religious, religious guy yeah. uh you know with the drowned god and aaron Greyjoy and stuff and all that you know he's probably far enough removed from that culture that it wasn't a big something that was important in his life but he did see how important it was to Eddard Stark, and and uh, mm. this just shows how much of an influence and an impact the Starks had on him. And Dustin, Lady Dustin, saying, "Because you always wanted to be like them," uh, I think it's that. And he's he's all out of he's all out of ideas at this point. He's all out of next moves. He's he's completely desperate, and he's grasping for anything. And it's telling that that's what he naturally turns to, is he's not praying to some drowned god or anything. Right. He finds that momentary solace in the gods would, just like a father figure like Eddard Stark used to. Good insight. I liked it. Um, Good. Because I was having trouble with it. Uh, You have anything else for this chapter? Uh... All right, let's move on to the King's Prize. Okay. Your smile could make the stars collide. Stars collide, stars collide. Kraken's daughter, catch the tide. Catch the tide, yeah, catch the tide. Daddy loves you best because you're by his side. By his side, by his side. Youngest and a lady, but she'll always hold her steady because she's Asher Great Joy. Take you for a ride. So, Asha Greyjoy rides in chains as part of the baggage train of Stannis's army as they depart Deepwood Mott to take Winterfell from Roose Bolton. It's 100 leagues away, and it's a march that Stannis's men are confident that they can complete in 15 days. Now, you'll remember that at the end of our last Arya, Asha, not Arya, Asha chapter, Asha and the men, uh, and her men, held, excuse me, start over. You'll remember that in our last Asha chapter, Asha and the men that she held deep would mot with attempted a covert night escape from the castle, knowing that Stannis was coming for them, but they were ambushed in the forest by northern forces. And just as her father had knelt to king, uh, had bent the knee, Asha bends the knee to Stannis, choosing submission and life over defiance and death. 
he had allowed her and her remaining men, of which there were only nine, to live. But Asha senses no true mercy in him. She thinks him a fool for considering her a hostage of any worth, either to his allies or to the Ironborn. Uh, but she, does, of course, does not bother to try to explain that to him. Um, she knows that he doesn't listen to counsel particularly well, especially the counsel of a woman. Um, but anyways, Asha is guarded by Alisane Mormont, a daughter of Mage Mormont, and whom she thinks of as the She-Bear. She's also guarded by Sir Justin Massey, one of Stannis' queen men who commands the baggage train. Uh, Asha knows that Massey and many of the southern lords opposed this march, some even suggesting they winter at Deepwood Mott, and more wondering how they would even take Winterfell once they arrived. But the northern lords will not hear of leaving Winterfell and Lady Arya in the hands of the Boltons. And Stannis agrees. He says, we will march and we will free Winterfell or die in the attempt. So, uh, Massey, by the way, is totally into Asha. Uh, he stops by her, her cart that she's being carried around in multiple times a day. Just like, see how she's doing and stuff like that. It's cute. Asha, Asha is sure that part of the reason for his interest is wanting to marry her and get the Iron Islands through her. Of course, if so, jokes on him. She has no claim on the islands right now with her Uncle Euron on the sea stone chair. And let's be honest, Uncle Euron would eat someone like Justin Massey for breakfast. Anyways, back to the march. They make good time at first. They cover upwards of 20 miles a day, which is crazy. Uh, Asha passes the time by talking with Alisane, trying to find some common ground with a fellow woman warrior. But Alisane has not forgotten the scourge the Ironborn have been on House Mormont over the centuries. Um, Asha entreats various people, even Stannis himself, to let her out of her chains and allow her to ride a horse. Uh, swearing she won't try to escape, but to no avail. Uh, things go particularly sour with Stannis when Asha brings up King Robert. Whatever you do, just do not bring up Robert when talking to Stannis. Come on, guys. Uh, it begins to snow on day four of their march, and it does not stop. The Northers handle it easily at first, equating the weather to nothing but autumn storms. But the southern troops, unaccustomed to anything resembling a winter storm, take it like a cannonball to the gut. They go from traveling 14 miles a day to half that, to half that again, until pretty soon they're getting down to barely a mile a day that they're able to move. Wagons, horses, and men are all lost to the relentless winter, but Stannis grinds those teeth as ever and has them press on, even as supplies of food and firewood dwindle, and unrest and infighting begins breaking out amongst the troops. By day 20, Ash, remember this was supposed to be a 15-day trip, Asha is obliged to leave the comfort of her prison wagon and walk herself, even on the bum ankle she sustained during uh, the fighting at Deepwood Mott. Finally, destitute, starving, and in some cases slightly mutinous, they find an abandoned village with a watchtower set between two lakes, and they stop there for the night to rest and to, uh, and to fish the lakes. Stannis says they will march at first light, but uh, as morning comes, there's no call to prepare to march. 
Asha looks outside, and the snow was still falling even more heavily than when she'd crawled inside the tent. The lakes had vanished under the snow, and the woods as well. She could see the shapes of other tents and lean-tos and the fuzzy orange glow of a beacon fire burning atop a watchtower, but she couldn't even see the tower itself. As the book says, the storm had swallowed the rest. And the chapter ends with this. Somewhere ahead, Roos Bolton awaited them behind the walls of Winterfell, but Stannis Baratheon's host sat snowbound and unmoving, walled in by ice and snow, starving. That's that's the end of the chapter. Does it does it Look, make you just cold? Uh, yeah, and without hope, and it's pretty bleak. Uh, that picture it paints at the end. Quite. Yeah. An interesting contrast to the last chapter, right? Where they talk about you know things aren't perfect in Winterfell, but they got lots of food. You know, they yeah. got a warm fire. Things are nice, and Winterfell's so powerful you can't overtake it. And meanwhile, here's Stannis, and he can't even get there. <laughs> like, yeah, George is being quite obvious here, uh, putting these chapters back to back of trying to paint a very bleak picture for Stannis, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And um, uh, you you put it you put it well. Um, he's just he just grinds his teeth through the journey, right? <laughs> like. Like, as a metaphor for the whole journey, the whole group of people just grinding their way through, just as Stannis grinds his teeth through life to get through it. Uh And, uh, you know, despite the picture George has painted, I don't know. This is probably something that only happens in literature, but, you know, like, the old story of, like, the the team that had to work harder ends up winning it. Sure. You know, uh-huh. like they're, they're gonna, it's, it's always darkest before the dawn, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you strong. All those kind of bullshit sayings Woo-hoo. like yeah, rah, rah, rah. they'll emerge stronger for all of this. Maybe, uh-huh. um, you know, and more determined the Northmen for sure are super determined here. And, um, you know, are, are by far the, great strongest part of, of that army at this point. Sure. Um, but you know, th- this March, it reminds me a little bit of Danny in the red waste, like the exact opposite, right? One oh, yeah. extreme heat and no water, but just kind of like you get the way it's written. You just get this sense of just kind of hopelessness. Yeah. Like there's, they're, they're in the elements. They're trying to get to a destination that frankly is death waiting for them the way it's painted. And, they can't do anything to stop the loss of life on the way, but they have to keep going. What choice do they have? They can't go back now. They can't go back. You know, yep. like they have no choice. Same with, same with, with Danny and the Red Waste. Like what, what can she do at this point? Mm-hmm. Your options are minimal. And so you got to grind your teeth through it. Yeah. And I think it's one of the, the scouts comes back and in, in, is a Northman who's a scout and says that they're actually getting quite close. But, you know, at this point, it might as well be three miles, might as well be 300 miles, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And and has Stannis stopped, like, you know, if they are quite close, has Stannis stopped for a reason? Mm -hmm. Like, 
yeah, we're too hungry to fight right now. Or, <laughs> you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, well, he stopped. The question is, how do you fight? Yeah. When you're this destitute and stuff. Yeah. I mean, they talk about, you know, cutting holes in the ice and fishing. Maybe they'll, maybe they got a meal coming. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Trout's on the menu. But it, it is, it is, um, I don't think we're really spoiling anything. Uh, we don't get much else <clears throat> on the Stannis train, I think, before the next book, which we don't have yet. Um, it is one of the things, probably the thing that I am most, most anticipating Ah, is is where this goes. Where this goes, yeah. You know, we're getting, we're getting, we're getting really close to the end of these books that have been written so far. Uh, I think we've only got like three, three or four uh, chapters in Feast left, and isn't that crazy? You know, another twenty or so um, in dance, in, in yeah. dance. But man, getting close. Yeah, it is weird to think about. Uh yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very understandable to to want to see where this goes. We're back at Winterfell, right? Yeah, this is kind of where things started, and so. But it's also weird that see. we're back at Winterfell without a Stark involved. You're absolutely right. There are no Starks involved. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. You are absolutely feels, right. Feels dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stannis is, is we've had so many discussions about Stannis. Um and obviously Tell me how you really feel, Matt. He he hates being compared to Robert. And yeah. And to give him a little bit of credit, you know, these guys don't have to shove that in his face. Well, Stannis would get Robert, you'd take us 15 days, Robert could get there in 10. Stannis like, "Bull, I yeah, f you guys, you know." <laughs> You, you know don't what? Think I know that. But... I'm a huge. I'm a huge triple B apologist. Um, while and I always have to say this, while also admitting he has tremendous flaws. Yep. Like beating his wife. He will. Okay, like I know he's not a perfect human. That's not what I'm saying. I love how you always add that disclaimer. So it's because I don't. Great. I don't want. I don't want to be painted as like I this. I know. You know. You know. Yeah. So. So. I'm. A, I'm a huge apologist for him for for a lot of things, and I, I love him. But, um, you know, Stannis is no slouch. Robert only won, you know, like, a handful of battles in the Rebellion. You know, like four or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's certainly a a face of of the Rebellion and, and um, had had the charisma that won, won people to his side. And Stannis has none of that. Mm-hmm. But Stannis has won battles. Big time Stannis battles. has shown has has shown tremendous ability to lead and be effective. Yeah, he and he took out the Iron Fleet. Yes. That's their bread and butter is fighting on the sea. And he beat right. them. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's big. Yeah. I, I mean, I you know, Stannis also has his flaws, as most of the characters do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Writing Humans, and George does it really well. Um, and, but, but, but... I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he should feel like he pales in comparison to Robert. Right, he's different for sure. He is. Uh, here's the thing that I thought about, and I actually thought about this as I was watching the Super Bowl, and I'll tell you why. But I don't think Stannis would be 
Stannis, meaning having the quality, the yeah. good qualities that Stannis has. Without Triple B. If it's not for Robert. Yeah. And what made me think that was uh, before the Super Bowl, they were talking about Tom Brady. Did you watch the Super mm. Bowl? I did. It was a great game this year. It man. was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but the best Super Bowl I've seen that I can remember in yeah, terms of start really to good. finish. Um, just a total shootout, but it was great. Uh, and they were talking about Tom Brady, and I don't remember who it was, but they did an interview with him. I think it was Dan Patrick. And Tom Brady admitted that what drives him to this day is all the people that were better than him right mm. and who claimed that they were better than him and you know him <laughs> being drafted next to last in the nfl in his draft year and those quarterbacks going even back to high school that had better stats than him and every naysayer or everyone that was ever better than him he's never been able to like let that go and he doesn't mm. want to because it's what fuels him and it's what makes him want to be the best is remembering those people clear back in high school who said bad things about him. You know, it's it's what he feeds on to be Man. Tom Brady, who he is. Matt, you know, maybe this is why I'll never be great at anything. I'm just not going to hold on to something that long. You just can't, right? You just let it I'm go. I'm too lazy to hold on to something that long. I'm totally the same way, right? <laughs> but, you know, comparing that to Stannis and Robert... That's what drives Stannis, I think, in large part, is that constant yeah. comparison to Robert, you know? Yeah, And Perhaps. so I think he needs it. I think he needs it to be Stannis, is that comparison. Yeah. So, good on him, I guess. Yeah, I like that. God love him. What I don't love is the misogyny. Oh, boy. I don't... It doesn't... And, and I don't mean because... I don't mean because I don't want to see that in my in my fiction. I don't want to see, I don't want to see women hating in my books. That's not it. I, I don't think it fits Stannis. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like a, it feels like a brain fart from a character perspective on this one. Like I don't, I don't feel like he would be that way. He seems like a person that's all about capability. Yeah, certainly um, his elevation of Davos would indicate that. Right, right, and and his you know maybe i guess you'd say he hasn't made a good place for his queen but i'm not sure she's shown herself to be capable sure he's made a place for mel but she really had to force her way in so you know maybe i'm giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt but you know none of these none of these leaders are or very few of them are putting women right at their right hand mm-hmm. uh and he's at least done that and i don't know i i don't think it fits him Right, and and maybe that's just Ash's perception of him. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I loved her line. How many songs have been written about this topic? Women are another race as strange and unfathomable as giants and grumpkins and children of the forest. <laughs> what is the, the, the Will Ferrell line uh, in, in uh, uh, Jay and Son of Bob Strike Back? Where <laughs> Clit's real. Clit's real. Female (laughs) orgasm. That's the mystery. I'm Reg Hartner with an exclusive News Now Bulletin. A Provasic animal testing facility in Boulder was the focus of an attack by a terroristic primate rescue syndicate calling themselves the Coalition 
for liberation of itinerant tree dwellers, or simply clit. Now here to help us explain this footage is Federal Wildlife Marshal Willenholly. Marshal Willenholly, thanks for joining us. At this point, what can you tell us about the clit? From the intelligence we've been gathering, we've discovered that the clit is actually a tiny offshoot of the labia. Uh, the liberate apes before imprisoning apes movement. Exactly. Uh, that movie's so terrible and I love it. I know. It's awful. <laughs> uh, I'm going to watch it tonight. I just love it. Yep. But, yeah, it's certainly from Asha's point of view, that's what we get. So. Yeah, it is. And maybe we got some unreliable narrator maybe. stuff coming in, which we'll talk about a little bit in Dobbins After Dark for a different character. Hmm. Um, okay. Um, what about all this... Uh, all this skin changing stuff for the Mormont women. For Ali Mormont? Yeah. Anything anything to that? Yeah. We don't know. She's got uh two kids. Mm-hmm. She claims that the father was a bear. Right? This isn't like a hairy man. It was like a, a legitimate bear. The way she describes like, it is the animal. Yeah. Claws. Yeah. Uh, which apparently Mormons can turn into. Yeah. I think she's messing yeah. with. I think she's messing I, with Asha. I, me too. Right. Yeah. Their relationship's very interesting to me. I want it to be. I don't feel like it quite got there. Hmm. What do you mean by that? I don't know. I I feel like um, you you said it a bit in your summary. I feel like uh, they should be able to to bond over some things, uh-huh. and certainly there is, like you mentioned also in your summary, there's a history between these two peoples, the Ironborn and, and the Mormonts, um, a history that goes back, you know, Beauty and the Beast tales, all those time style. Um, but you know, yeah, I feel like they're in this shitty situation kind of like Penny and Tyrion where they've got each other and mm-hmm. seems like they could bond a little bit over the 30 days of near freezing death um but I don't I, it doesn't it kind of doesn't get there maybe yeah. man, maybe it will later we'll see I hope so I love that that is very telling about Asha and where her head's at Allie says we what we are is what you made us Referring yeah. to the Mormons and the Ironborn. Yep. And Asha thinks to herself, ah, the old way. And then it yes. says Asha turned away. You know, kind of indicating that, ah, yeah, the old way. Which, as we found out at her king's mood, isn't really her way. No, yeah, she's turned away from the old way, literally. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but that, as Ben Fold says, uh, her redneck past is still nipping at her heels. But, mm. Not redneck, though. Yes. Uh, Tough to escape your past. But, gosh, I sure like Asha Greyjoy, Scad. Mm-hmm. I like her a lot. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty good. I was thinking as we as, as I was reading this chapter about the bold, probably misled claim that one of the... Was it me? I think it was me. Made about her being mm-hmm. perhaps the best leader of, leader of men, I think is what it was. Yep. Not necessarily like the best battle commander, but like the best leader of men. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you don't get much of that here, but 
you still get the sense of she's just capable. She's just she's she's careful, considerate. She understands how to think through things. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I like her a lot. I like her a lot too. Um, another thing that I'd add to that list of what I agree with what you said is as opposed to maybe Cersei, who is often wishing that she had a penis, right? What I like she owns being a woman. Yeah. What I like about Asha is she seems even though she's kind of inserted herself into a man's world, right? Leading men and stuff like that, she still seems comfortable being a woman. She seems comfortable in, uh, I don't want to say femininity because she's, she seems to maybe shun some of the societal expectations of a woman, uh, but that's exactly it. She's comfortable being a woman, just not the woman that Westerosi society expects her to be. Do you know what I mean? She... I know so much what you mean. Yeah. She, she, she mentions how if she married Justin Massey, the quote is the Kraken's daughter, she would think people would say about her, the Kraken's daughter turned out to be just a woman after all. See how she spreads her legs for this soft green landlord. She doesn't seem to despise womanhood in general, just the expectation of women in that society. And that's super progressive and super cool of Asha. I love it. What it comes down to is something that rings true in in life, mm. uh, and not just in literature. Mm-hmm. And it's just being comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. and not needing to label it, not needing to label anything. Right. She doesn't need to like label herself a woman or you know what does it mean to be a woman in this role or that role or anything. It's just she's just Asha. I'm Asha, and this is who I am, and this is what I'm good at, and this is how I'm going to play these situations, because this is just who I am, and I'm comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And that sort of that sort of being okay in your own skin is, it can get you everything. It's so everything. worth it, right? But you, I mean, but I don't think there's any, like, Tony Robbins series on, like, being able to do it you know like quite the opposite yeah yeah i mean i i don't i don't know that many people can or do and i'm not sure it can be coached or learned i it just you i don't know yeah you have to wonder how she got to where she is yeah you know mentally by all by all counts as soon as all the sons were taken away she was given every advantage right sure with balon and he Mm -hmm. doted on her a bit and um I don't know. Kind of similar to Eddard with Arya now that I think about it. And mm. allowing her to to kind of pursue what she wanted to pursue and and in a way for him be that son um that he lost. Uh understanding of course that the Iron Islands culture is kind of set apart from Yeah, it's different mainland Westeros a bit. But Yeah, I mean we don't, well, honestly we don't know enough to say about sure. like what what it was like. Mm-hmm. Maybe she didn't have any interest in doing that. She did it because she was told to. Yeah. <laughs> but but doesn't that doesn't that doesn't feel that way? Given what we just said about how comfortable she is with who she is, mm-hmm. doesn't feel like she's pretending. Anyway, 
Asha, I hope we get a lot more of her. We got anything else? Uh, nope. I love, uh, so if we remember my, the name of my Song of Ice and Fire ska band is going to be Ragged Jenna. Yes, I recall. And my, the title of our first album is going to be called We Ragged Nine. (laughs) I love it. Which is the term that Asha uses to describe her and her, the survivors of the Deepwood Mott fight. Yes. So We Ragged Nine. I thought that was so cool. I love that phrase. I love little just quick phrases like that. So look for our uh, first uh, LP, We Ragged Nine. (laughs) <laughs> which will hit Bandcamp shortly. That's I've not got true. one. <laughs> I've got one real quick question before we move on from Asha, as I'm scouring my notes. Okay. This chapter is called the King's Prize. Mm. Is Asha really a prize at all? She asks herself that, right? Yeah. And she concludes she that no. Yeah. She's worth nothing. So is it a, is it is it an ironic chapter title? Or is George trying to tell us something about future value or something? Hmm. It comes off as ironic, doesn't it? A little bit. That's a good question. Yeah. I like it. What is he hinting at, if anything? Yeah. All right, let's move on. An unanswered question. We do that a lot here at Davos Fingers, if you're listening for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. Before we get to Davos After Dark, we got one more patron question. What is your favorite Olympic event to watch? And who do you root for besides the U.S., if anyone? This was from Adam. Yeah, we had the uh, opening ceremonies tonight. Yeah, we're recording during the opening ceremonies. Uh-huh. My wife is for sure upstairs watching them. Well, by now she's asleep. She was watching them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, my favorite event is probably easy for everybody. It's hockey. I figured as much. Little different this year, though. There, uh, the men's hockey will not have NHL players. Oh, do you know that? That's a mistake. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, maybe not. Well, I but... I agree with you. Actually, um, the owners said no. The NHL owners. I think it's a tremendous opportunity to market their players, but yeah. they see it as a a risk to the players themselves, you know, getting injured during the Olympics. What are they going to do coming back and helping the team win? You know, the team they get paid to play on, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Now, now, the Olympics is the national competition for hockey, right? There isn't, like, another, like, Cup of Nations or something. There is a World Cup of Hockey. Is it, do, does everyone send their best? Is it like taken seriously, or is is uh, the Olympics like more revered? The problem is, is it occurs during the NHL playoffs, yeah. so you know if teams are still in the playoffs, they cannot send their players to it. Uh, right. However, teams that have already started the off season, you know, guys can go. But play uh, for but it to people like to people like ah, it's been a long season. I'm not going. Sure. Or like, sure. do you really get the best teams outside of these teams in the playoffs? Do you really get the best players for each team or not? I would say yes and no. Um, yeah. I think you do get guys that are just like, you know what, I'm going to rest and recharge and get ready for next season. But you do get a fair amount of players. I would say it's not star-studded like the Olympics used to be. The Olympic teams until this year when they allowed NHL players were just, you know, the USA and Canada and Sweden and Russian teams were just stacked Loaded. with the NHL's best. It was really cool to see. 
Yeah. But uh, not no mo. So soccer has that problem too, but but um, you know the Olympics isn't the big event for them. It's the World Cup. World Cup. And yeah. they have similar problems with like players like. Should we release them? You know, and they have like this whole grueling qualifying process. Where it's like, do we release them for qualifying or just for the cup themselves, and mm-hmm. all these things? But mm. yeah, it's definitely and, not as big as World Cup with soccer or football. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but uh, huh. no NHL players this year. So any you, you just can't be signed to an NHL team. The U.S. went uh, the route of young players. So young guys, college age, are playing in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. um, and they recruited a couple. There's two former long-tenured NHL players who mm-hmm. are, are playing for the team, who are, you know, who like are they? mid-30 type guys. A defenseman named James Wisniewski, and the captain of the team is a forward named Brian Gionta. Huh. I don't know if you've heard of him. I haven't, but that's not saying much. And the rest are very young. Uh, <laughs> Team Canada, on the other hand, went the complete opposite route, and almost the whole team is made up of former veteran NHL players. Interesting. Yeah, with the idea huh. that the the guy said, "Look, if we were going to play a whole season, these guys wouldn't—they're just too old." But he said, "Anyone can play hard for two weeks," is what he yeah was kind of the quote that he said. So I buy that. Yeah, interesting. So we'll see. Huh. Interesting to see that play out. Yep. Uh, what about the other question there? Do you root for anybody besides the U.S.? You know, Brazil. To yeah. live there. Uh, not a huge presence in the Winter Olympics. I think mm-hmm. I saw when they were all marching out there tonight during the opening ceremonies that there were four. No, there were three. Yeah. No, four. Four. Four, uh, four athletes from Brazil in the Winter Games, which is pretty cool considering Brazil. But, yeah, I feel a special affinity for that country. How about you? Hmm. Uh, well, I don't root for anybody other than, other than the U S generally, mm-hmm. but I, that sounds like very jingoist or something. I don't, I don't I'm not a huge nationalist. I'm more of a, I like to think of myself more of like a world, a worldly guy than a, than a <laughs> national guy. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I root for the U S and then, you know, I, I'm human like any human, I get involved in stories, right? So sure, yeah. As the Olympics play out, like I'll root for individuals from other countries for sure. That have a cool story, as I, yeah. Yeah, that have good stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for sure, but I don't like, Denmark is my country this year because, you know, something. I don't. Yeah, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. My favorite event is speed skating, the long track events. Ooh, cool. I like those, the, the kind of endurance events. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that's that. Thanks for that question, Adam. Very yeah. topical with the Olympics going on now. A lot of fun. So thank you. And now we're going to move directly to Davos After Dark. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for joining us. It is time for us to enter that realm of spoilers. Uh, so if you don't want to be spoiled, jump off now. This is your warning. Get out. Leave. Get. Never come back. Or uh, come back in three weeks. Get. I mean. <laughs> so we'll see you later. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time for the Davos After the Darkness. Davos After Dark. Sick bass, by the way. Did you re-record that uh, thing like you promised everyone? I suggested that I might do it, and no, I haven't, but All right. it's a beautiful thing. Whew. Yeah. It's got that low B string that just, it's mm-hmm. an extra lower string on the bass, so you get an even lower tone. tone. Yeah. And boy, I sit on my amplifier and I play that note. Wow. Sends me into sounds... all sorts of 
euphoric yeah the pleasure. jokes the jokes that went through my brain i don't think you'll forgive me for making so i'll let them go that's exactly what i was hinting at for <laughs> uh all right with that let's jump right in can we just can we just deal with sansa Okay. right out of the gate because we didn't talk about it at all in the main portion of the cast and we probably okay. could have mm-hmm. and people are probably screaming mm-hmm. uh, why aren't they talking about Sansa <laughs> and her uh, Sandor non-kiss yeah. um, so this is the first time that she's mentioned that she mentions it some other time I don't know in the previous book I think mm-hmm. um, but I don't, I don't remember if we talked about it then um, I don't think we did but Sansa, in case anyone that's listening has forgotten, mm-hmm. remembers the events after the Battle of the Blackwater differently than they occurred. She remembers the Hound being in her room, doing the things he did, mm-hmm. and also kissing her, and then leaving. Which didn't happen. At all. Nope. What happened is that he... Was passed out drunk in her bed, got up when she came in, threatened her with a knife at her throat, pinning her down on the bed, and made her sing for him, tore off his bloody cloak, left it with her, and then walked out of the room. Fair Is that a fair summary of what happened? Absolutely. And she still has that cloak, by the way. Still has it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no kiss. Nope. Um, so Even... she's... Go ahead. She thought of it another time back in A Storm of Swords. Right, right. So we have two instances of her remembering being kissed when that didn't happen. Right. Do you remember the quote from A Storm of Swords? Do you have that? Uh, I do. Sansa wondered what Mega, so she's thinking about the Marjorie and her people, uh, wondered what Mega would think about kissing the Hound as she had. He'd come to her the night of the battle, stinking of wine and blood. He kissed me and threatened to kill me and made me sing him a song. But he didn't kiss her. But he didn't. Um, you know, it, it's a little crazy. But but uh, but I want to I want to. I'm not going to leave it at that. Okay. It's a little crazy. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember that Sansa's she's an incredibly romantic individual. Mm-hmm. It was a huge part of her growing up, wanting that that level of romance in her life, and she has not been afforded even a moment. Of romance to have locked away in her heart. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of invented one. Absolutely. And, yeah, good point. And uh, it's a little crazy, but I kind of just, I kind of just pity her a little bit. And uh, I want to just kind of let her have it. Sure. Yeah, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Um, and, and, you know, the immediate thought is, but why Sandor? You know, you mentioned how she's always dreamed, been romantic and stuff. Why him of all people? And I think maybe the answer is, is that she's never had these moments and probably the person she's been, you know, just most intimate with and most real with has been Sandor, right? Yeah, perhaps. That moment alone was very awkward for her at times. But yeah. it was, and and I don't mean intimate in a sexual way, uh, far from it, intimate in the sense of just two people 
being real with each other. And well, she was scared out of her mind. But what she was getting was the real hound, right? It was the real Sandor yeah. Clegane. And right. so you can kind of understand how she would attach herself to that memory emotionally yes. because she really hasn't gotten that with anybody else. Yeah, I'm going to build on that a little bit. So okay. I, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, it's When you have a fantasy or, or a, a daydream or, or something like that, it's it's the details that make it powerful mm. mm-hmm. and if if you have something like knowing what they smell like even if it's alcohol mm-hmm. or something that you, that you don't even really paint as, as something that, that you like necessarily it's a detail and allows you to it allows you to build the world in more complexity and make it more real and hold on to it mm-hmm. versus if it's something like Loris where she has very little what you said real interaction with him something that is an important discussion between them that they're sharing a moment with if you have fewer of those you have less realism to build into your fantasy and so it makes sense from that perspective um that, nice. that she would yeah. that she would use Sandor and I also, you know, I, I've I've come down on Sandor in this cast before, and I, I stick to it. I don't like him. I think he's a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, he's certainly a tragic character in his own right. I don't mean to take that away or, or mean or say that there's no reason for him being the way he is, but still, he is the way he is, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I've come down on him. But but I, I don't mean to say that there isn't clearly a narrative here that George has created that the shippers aren't crazy there's a narrative here that he's built that makes this not only a strong not only a likelihood but probably the best case scenario for like a real romance for sansa right it might not be where her future ends up but like if you're thinking about a romance it makes sense Mm -hmm. i think lies and arbor gold wrote uh wrote a defense about about the sansan uh ship a while ago that i read that Hmm. that really hit home too if you guys can try to search that out if you're interested but um it's narratively supported it's storytelling and it's in there and you're not crazy for thinking it absolutely that doesn't mean i like it (laughs) but (laughs) you know uh was this what you were referring to as the unreliable narrator or narrator uh yes what you mean earlier in the cast when i said that yeah and you said we'd talk about it in davos after dark yeah, yeah. So it's actually my sign-off quote, and I'll 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 give it now. I'll give it to oh. and sign off too. But he basically, when asked about this, mm-hmm. George has basically just said, "Well, yeah, Sansa's an unreliable narrator." Yep. Which is, <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind out. of like a what's yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a cop out. Like he, you can just use that whenever you want. <laughs> Oops, but screwed he up. Didn't... Unreliable narrator. But Sam didn't kill this guy. Peter did. Oh, well, unreliable narrator. They they thought it was Sam. It was Peter. I write people, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a bit of a cop-out. But, but um, you know, so maybe they're all unreliable. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this case, I, I guess what I'm trying to do is explain the unreliability um, with, you know, this romanticized version of her life that she doesn't get to live out. And so she's, yeah, she's picked a moment and she... Love it. She relives it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, you want to chat Merillion really quick? Real quick. Yes. So he's... Uh, we, we don't see him again. 
we don't know anything about him again. Mm-hmm. There's no confirmation of his death mm-hmm. ever. Um, that's all, I guess. Um, I speculated before that I think Peter's pocketed him away to do something later, but don't know what that would be. Um, you have any anything to add? Well, if anything, maybe just to um, refute that or to argue against that ideas if he's alive it seems like that's a loose end that Littlefinger wants to tie up because Marillion can testify as to what really happened to Lysa um, his testimony joined with Sansa's testimony could be damning to Peter in the end if it ever came to that so I would think that Littlefinger would want Marillion dead so I don't know Yep, that would be in support of him being dead but as we've learned with George is until you see their head on a spike, <laughs> you question yeah. you question whether they're dead. So. Yeah, my argument was that Peter flipped him, basically. Promised him things, said, do these things, and, you know, you can have these things. And Sure. Um, you know, again, no evidence or anything. Uh-huh. Just that was the, the way the theory went. Uh, all right, let's move on. Okay. Uh, let's go to... Barbary's reason for being in the crypts. Oh boy. So here we go. So Bar- so so Barbary liked Brandon. Oh, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, a uh-huh. while ago. They were a they were a hot little item. Um could be argued she never got over him, I suppose. She approaches Theon, they go down to the crypts, they walk to the end where uh where Brandon and and Rickard are, um, they have a little discussion that's other than the missing swords doesn't really have anything to do with Brandon or Rickard. Um, <laughs> well, I guess that you get the history as well with Brandon, but mm-hmm. there's no there's no reason given for why she's going down. It, it, it very it very well could just be paying her respects, I guess. I but guess. it's not like she, huh? but it's not. But it's not. Well, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm. I ask you. Do you? I mean, do you? Ha- I have a few thoughts. Again, not supported by nary a piece of evidence. But do you have any thoughts? Uh, she, she definitely. Well, in my opinion, she's down there to figure something out. Um, to back up just slightly, uh, she knows about Jane. I'm. It's pretty dang clear to me that she knows that Jane is not Arya. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the lines that we've brought up already is, Dressing her in gray and white serves no good if the girl is left to sob. Uh-huh. Like she, she knows. Yeah. Um, and we know that she uh, had Jane stay with her. She was like in Barbary's custody until she was wedded. Um where she could have questioned her and find, found out some things potentially. I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's safe to say she knows. Right. Uh, does she hate the Starks? I think she she's probably sincere. I don't think she's playing too many games that she doesn't like the Starks. Um, but does she hate them more than Roose Bolton and Ramsey Bolton? And I think that's where the big question lies because it would determine Barbary's allegiance, right? Um, and, uh, Radio Westeros has a theory that I think has been put out there by others as well, but they outline it very well in their Grand Northern Conspiracy episode. Um, 
I'd urge you to check it out, and I think it's quite compelling, and that is uh, regarding the swords, right? You familiar with this one? I'm sure I will be when you remind me I listened to that episode and loved it, but I'm not remembering now what you're referring to. So we, stepping back a little bit, we know that uh, Wex Pike informed Wyman Manderley and was informing Wyman of um, what had happened in the Godswood, with Brandon Rickon still being alive, uh, with Lewin dying, with Osha and Rickon going one way, and Brandon Holder going the other, and Mirren Jojen, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, the swords could have been uh, something that he noticed. They were armed. They had swords. They were hiding in the crypts where they get those swords. Um, and uh, I'm remembering now. Yeah, and and Barbary makes special note of the missing swords when she's in the crypt. Oh, that one's missing a sword. That one's missing a sword. That one, that one. She points out four instances where swords are missing. Um, and there you have it. So the, I, the theory put forth is... Barbary wants to go down to the crypts to uh, determine the veracity of Wyman Manderley's claims. So in other words, Wyman and her had somehow met up. I've got some ideas for that. Radio Westeros puts forth some ideas. I shouldn't claim them as my own, um, of how information may have been passed. And she wanted to verify that information. One way to do that is getting down into the crypts and seeing about the swords. So there you go. Does, do you think Wex knew that the swords they had were from the crypts? I don't know. He could have deduced it. They looked yeah. old. They were hiding in the crypts, and they came out of the crypts with swords. But, yeah. you know, they could have potentially pulled them off of corpses. So, Well, H- Hodor's sword specifically is noted as being like iron, like old iron. Old iron, and yeah. Some so kind like of rusty looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, you've got the, uh, you've got, so who is it who's talking? You've got Harwood Stout, who is one of, um, Barbary's, uh, guys, is one of her, Barbary's his liege lord, is Harwood Stout's liege lord, kind of. And we get an instance where it says that Harwood Stout and, um, Morzumber are chatting, right? Yeah. Morzumber has a connection to Wyman Manderley because they were commanded by Rob to build that fleet of ships up for the north. The Umbers uh-huh. were to supply the timber to right. build the ship. So it's possible that Wyman Manderley, um, Moores knows what Wyman knows as they've been working together. Moores passes that information on to Harwood Stout, who passes it on to Barbary Dustin, and then she goes down into the crypts to verify. Gotcha. Yeah. So kind of a game of telephone there. So she's so you so you're so the idea is she's not sure about this whole northern conspiracy business. Mm-hmm. She goes down to check it out, and if she finds what she might find, then maybe she's got a harder decision to make about do I join this crazy party or not. Right. Yeah. Is it worth continuing to support Ruth or do I take the risk? Remember, she right. has no love for the Boltons. Domeric Bolton was her nephew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. And, of course, the common theory is that Ramsey killed Domeric, so... Yep. So, uh, it also, you know what it does, like, contextually a little bit? Um, you know, sometimes, like, when you're when you're coming around to an idea, you're just kind of... 
you're just kind of angry that it's making you change your mind. <laughs> like I've, I've held this for so long, and now I've got this evidence that I, I think I have to think a different way, and I'm kind of angry about it. Okay. And like, and you get you get angry, uh-huh. and maybe like that's why she like lashes out at the Starks at the end of that chapter. Uh-huh. Like she's seen the evidence that she thinks is going to make her like change her mind and and turn against Bolton and you know and and take this risk and support the quote unquote Starks against the Boltons. And so she's just angry about it, so she just lashes out at the Starks. Mm-hmm. As like her little just frustration at having been, you know, proven that she has to take this action now. Just a little thing. Yeah. Goes like along it. with what you're saying. Uh my idea is lame compared to what Radio Westeros has thrown out. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I wondered if she was going down there looking for some sort of secret entrance to the crypts. Um, in in that theory, assuming that she's already in the Grand Northern Conspiracy, right. that she is looking for a way to help Stannis. Get because, in. And, and the reason I thought this is just because the rest of this chapter is set up to paint what we've said already how impossible it's going to be to take Winterfell for Stannis. Uh It's just not going to happen unless they can get some assistance from, from somebody to open the gates or, you know, something. And, and that this would be a way in perhaps where they could come in through the crypts and take them by surprise. And, um, yeah. So that's where that came from, but there's, you know, there's no evidence of it and she certainly doesn't find anything. Um, and that could, of course, indicate a possible collusion with uh, Mance and the washerwomen. Yes. The wildling right. women who are also attempting to get some information. Right. Right. So the the washerwomen tried to get some information from Theon. Yeah, he Rickard was White not receptive. Well. They went back to, to Lady Dustin and said, he's not talking. And she's like, let me try. Mm-hmm. You know, and so she gets him down to the crypts and who knows? Anyway, all right, moving on. It is late, man. You want to do like one more? Uh, sure. I've got, oh, I I've got a potential idea. It's kind of out there for the note that you had highlighted about, and this would be a natural segue. Um, how Stannis would get into Winterfell. Cool. Move right on. You want to do that one, or do you have a yeah. different one in mind that you'd rather do? We can do no, more go after. For... Oh well, let's see. Let's see how long this one goes. This one might go a bit. Okay, let's, let's hear it. Okay, so uh, I had pointed out in my notes that I firmly believe Winterfell cannot be taken via conventional methods by Stannis, if he even gets to the point of having to try. Um, you said they've gone a long way to mention how well-defended Winterfell still is. Uh, and you said, I didn't pick up on this in previous reads, but I think it means something. It's a little mm-hmm. insight into the notes we leave for each other, guys. Yes. Um, little little snippet for you. Yeah, just to give an idea as to what we talk about uh, or write to each other about. We rarely talk between episodes, guys. Yeah, helps keep nope. things helps keep things fresh. Uh, fresh here on the cast, which yeah. has been fun tonight. So, um, I think Theon is going to be. I'll use the word a conduit for revealing how to get into Winterfell. And the person who will reveal that information through Theon is Bran Stark. Mm. Okay? So, 
we know that they're that Bran is attempting to communicate with Theon, right? Or that's what we can deduce from these Theon chapters? You mean the stuff in the Godswood where he's hearing things and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, the You pointed out the one about please and save me, and he heard sobbing. Yes. And he thinks it's Jane. I think yes. it's Bran. Uh, but I don't know for sure. Um <laughs> There, we get another one in the next chapter that's even more poignant, where they whisper, it, the the leaves of the heart tree were rustling his name, is what's used. Theon, they seem to whisper. Theon, uh-huh. right? Um, and we get this really nice scene where it says, a leaf drifted down from above and brushed his brow, landed in the pool uh, below him. It's almost like, it's almost, and it's when Theon is wanting to die and stuff, and he's just crying and everything. And he's wishing for death. And then this leaf kind of brushes his brow. Almost like it's Bran saying, like, dude, it's okay, is mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm picking up. Um, he still wants to die and everything. Okay, so Bran is attempting to communicate with Theon. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Spoilers, everybody, to the Winds of Winter sample chapter now. Oh, yeah. I told you I was going to go back and read it. Did Did you have a chance to go back and read it? You... No, I didn't. Okay. Turn it off, guys, if you don't want Winds of Winter spoilers. If you don't want to. Um, I, gosh, I don't know what to tell you guys the next 10 minutes or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe just stop now if this is going to be the last thing we talk about. Uh, but we are going to discuss the Winds of Winter sample chapter. So that sample chapter opens with... Um, actually, A Dance with Dragons closes with Theon being brought to Stannis' camp, Right? He escapes with Jane Poole, and yep. he is brought to Stannis's camp. Um, in the Winds of Winter sample chapter, Theon is imprisoned by Stannis and is to be executed for all of his crimes, right? Mm-hmm. Asha says, Asha comes to um, Stannis and is talking to him, and uh, she makes kind of a, I don't know, it felt kind of almost a half-hearted effort to save Theon. She says, at least let me, you know, let me ransom him from you. Uh, Stannis replies that no way, you know, all the money in the Iron Islands couldn't ransom Theon for what he's done. He's, he needs to be executed. Um, and so then Asha replies with, okay. And she challenges Stannis at the very end of the chapter. She says, then do the deed yourself, your grace. And she challenges Stannis to take him out to the heart tree. Now there's a heart mm. tree in this crofter's village or close yep. to it. Take him out to the heart tree and kill him like Eddard Stark would have killed him. Kill him in front mm-hmm. of the heart tree. Uh, as they're talking about this, there's a whole bunch of ravens in, um, in with Stannis. Yes. And they're yelling like tree, 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 tree. <laughs> and then when she does this, that they they start to one of them screams Theon Theon Theon, and the chapter ends with Theon smiling, saying they know my name. So, here's where things get kind of weird. All right, we get some indication that blood uh, means something with with heart trees, right? Yeah, we talked about that a lot, the last Bran chapter. Yeah, blood sacrifice meaning something. You know, Bran could taste the blood when he was watching a scene of a 
blood sacrifice done in front of the heart tree. When the blood flowed to the tree, he could actually taste it. So there's some sort of connection there. Um, so here's an idea that I had. Uh, they take Theon out to execute him at this heart tree. Um, and, you know, as he's about to do the deed, as Stannis is ready to swing the sword and kill Theon, something happens. I, I don't know, Bran can maybe control the tree a little bit. Maybe he makes, you know, a, a branch kind of smack Stannis's hand or something along those lines, making him kind of miss a little bit, you know what I mean? And throw him off his aim, maybe slice Theon's ear or something like that in some way to not kill him, but to make him bleed. And when that blood uh, hits the tree, I know there's holes in this scad, but it kind of causes some sort of deeper connection between Theon and Bran and allows them to communicate, okay? Mm -hmm. Why would that be important? Well, or what would Bran tell him? Well, I started thinking back to that Game of Thrones in very clear back at the beginning when Bran's running around Winterfell before his fall. And uh, I went back and had a look at that chapter because I remember it tells us a lot about Winterfell. Check mm -hmm. this out. Um, Bran talks about how he'd learned Winterfell's secrets. And he says, I'm going to read this. He knew you could get inside the inner wall by the south gate, climb three floors and run all the way around Winterfell through a narrow tunnel in the stone and then come out on ground level at the north gate with a hundred feet of wall looming over you. Even Maester Lewin didn't know that, Bran was convinced. <gasps> <laughs> wow. Wow. There it is. <laughs> wow. So I know the blood stuff is sketchy. I, I get that. But I feel like they're... Bran wants to get Theon out to that heart tree from this Wind of Winter sample chapter. He wants to get in there, and somehow that communication will happen there, and then Theon will be able to transmit that to Stannis, and boom. What do you think? I think pretty good. I think I think it's... I, I like the theory. I'm not sure I'm going to like it if it happens. Hmm. Because it would be so cool. But I don't want Bran to be able to use the tree that way. And specifically, like, so specifically, like, to be able to, like, give Theon, like, instruction of, like, go to this stone on this side of the wall, look for the cleft in the rock and sneak behind, like, man, that's... Okay. I get what you're saying. It's a, It's very specific information to be able to translate, and... So, okay, so Bran has been painted as this, uh, forgive me for using the term, this messiah of skin changers, right? Of, you know, that he is kind of the one, he's the mm -hmm. Neo, yep. right? Mm -hmm. So, like, maybe he can do things that nobody else could do with the heart trees before. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's possible. It just feels like a lot of information to be able to trans transfer. Specific, yeah. I get what you're saying. And then why Theon? It could, he could have just do, done that directly to Stannis if he wanted to, couldn't he? Maybe. And Oh, you need the blood. Need but the blood. Well, maybe he knows that Theon would be more receptive with where Theon is right now. And, and Stannis isn't the most that redemption. guy anyway. Um, another thing that could make it fun is this just came to me because of what you had said earlier about there's no Stark participating in the retaking of Winterfell. Mm -hmm. And 
it would be kind of cool to have a Stark influencing that and being a part of that. So I, I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. I it, think it's it's kind of cool. It's very fun. And it would be amazing to read that Northern Army coming through that area of the wall. Yeah. Even if they just sent a few in. Yeah. And to open the gate. And to go open the gate to the rest or something. Yeah. Maybe disguise them. Because we've got uh, fray forces coming down on them right now in the Crofter's Village. Fray forces are approaching. Um, uh, Beefish and others have put forth the idea of, you know, maybe the, the lake that they'd fished so much and is so holy. They could yeah. kind of get the troops to march out onto that lake. It's snow covered right now, so they may not even right. know a lake's there. They, you know, the ice is unstable. They all fall in. Battle one. Um Beefish has put forth the idea of them, uh, of the Northerners then, of Stannis's men then, disguising themselves in fray armor. As frays. As frays to, yeah. to get in. So this, this little team, they could send in and fray stuff so that they could infiltrate and get into the gate, open her yeah. up. and That's a cool idea. I love it. I love it. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm very wary. I'm just very wary of the time trial. We've talked about this. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm wary of Dale's the time travel tree power stuff. stuff. And, yeah, yeah, but 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 I love it as a, as a. I'd love it more if Rickon showed up and knew how how to get in or mm. something, but but because then it wouldn't involve the, the tree magical tree power mm-hmm. influencing events. But but he doesn't know. Bran knows, right? So um, your theory, I I love it. It's awesome. We'll see. It's pretty great. We'll see. Yeah. Uh well we should end on that i wanted to talk about the the moon tea stuff oh you know what i don't have anything really to say about it it's important to the story but we can talk about it later when the trial comes you're right i i don't really have anything there either yeah so all right well let's let's mark it for another episode when we might have more okay all right so uh time to sign off great theory matt Way to end end on some uh, some juicy stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, so uh, we'll let's yeah let's go to sign offs. Okay, uh, my sign off is um, <laughs> it's a simple song lyric and it doesn't really relate to anything in the episode. But I heard it today as I was listening to my music and. I think it's a good reminder for all of us to be a little bit easier on ourselves. Uh, From Billy Joel's Vienna, which is probably my favorite Billy Joel song, he says, uh, Though you can see when you're wrong, you know you can't always see when you're right. So, see when you're right, guys. Go a little bit easier on yourselves. We're really hard on ourselves. and Be good to yourself. That's it. Good night. Yeah. And for mine, it's a it's a quote directly from George um, when asked about the Sansa Hound non kiss. Mm-hmm. He said, "File this one under unreliable narrator and feel free to ponder its meaning." <laughs> so, George, you tricky me. It's it's the second half of that that's a little bit interesting. Uh-huh. Feel free to ponder its meaning. What does it mean for Sansa? Who she is and where she's going. So. Give it some thought, Kalisar, and uh, thanks for sticking with us through a long episode. I <laughs> hope you enjoyed it. Yep. Bye, guys. Good night, guys. Though you can see when you're wrong, you know you can't always see when you're right. You're right. You got your passion, you got your pride.
satisfied. Dream on, but don't imagine they'll all come. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah? Rough night? No. No, just, uh, stupid. I, like, I only log into this Skype account when we do this, and so it's once every mm-hmm. three weeks, and so I forget my password every time. <laughs> and then I have to reset it, and so I have to pick a new password every time, and so that just makes the odds of me remembering it worse every time. Put it's... it on a freaking sticky note. <laughs> I know, I know. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Get oh, man, Star Wars. Yeah. It's yeah. been a rough week. Let's save our discussion for the podcast on that. But <laughs> yeah. It... <laughs> Whew. Oh, man. Hey, you good-looking people. Thanks for joining us for episode 67, and we really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, credit where credit is due. So we had one song on this episode, that's Vienna by Billy Joel, off of my favorite Billy Joel album, The Stranger. Excellent album from start to finish. One other thing that needs to be brought up, and credit needs to be given where credit is due. We talked about a theory of Theon Bran, the heart tree, getting into Winterfell, all of that stuff. It was a theory that... I had kind of started thinking about as I was reading. I went and searched online just because I had a funny feeling that perhaps it's already out there and see if there's anything else. And sure enough, there is a Reddit post out there that goes over just about exactly what I had presented on the podcast. So uh, credit where credit is due, certainly. This post was from 11 months ago, and who knows if it's been talked about by by others uh, since then or before then. But the the uh, Redditor's name is Chad Immaculate. And he had a post again about 11, a mo- 11 months ago that goes through Theon's encounters with the Heart Trees, um, Bran potentially having the information of how to get into Winterfell, things like that. Really well thought out. You can go and uh, search for it if you'd like to and, and have a look at it. Uh, but again, great stuff out there from the fandom. And we always like hearing new things like that. So thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.